You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 566. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 20th of April, 2023. In today's episode, a man is sentenced to two years for pointing a laser at a Delta flight in the air. Extreme rain causes flooding, shutting down Fort Lauderdale Airport for two days. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 566 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Roswell, Georgia. Uh, and joining me from across the pond and uh, his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Uh, good evening, Jeff. Hi there, Liz, down there. Um, and lovely to be with you again. It's the middle of April, and I've been driving around with the roof off my car, and now, classically, it started to rain. Aw. April showers. Bring May something flowers. flowers May something. flowers. May flowers. Okay, thank you. And uh, that voice right there. A place to stand. A place to, stand. A place to grow. Ontario, Canada. Retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Here I am. Hi, everybody. Hello, Liz. Great to have you with us again. I missed you yesterday. I'll kind of talk about mm. that in the Getting to Know Us segment. Have a and good show, you do, guys. All right. Cheers, thank Liz. you. Let's, uh, let's do some aviation news. Stand by for news. All right. We'll start off with the uh, first item in our news segment. Uh, it says breaking. Of course, it's not breaking anymore. Uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe, Saudia Airlines Airbus A330 reportedly destroyed after Sudanese rebels launch attack on Khartoum. An Airbus 330 operated by Saudia has reportedly been destroyed after Sudan's paramilitary rapid support forces, RSF, launched an attack on Khartoum International Airport and other key locations across 
the Sudanese capital on Saturday. Grainy photos posted on social media that have not yet been independently verified show the Saudi Airlines aircraft on the airfield with a vertical stab broke off. Actually, the whole darn tail's broken off from what I'm looking at. And black smoke billowing out of the fuselage. The BBC is reporting that at least two people have been killed after a shell hit a passenger aircraft at Khartoum uh, during the attack, although, um, let's see, after a shell hit a passenger aircraft during the attack, uh, although further details are yet to be confirmed. The photos appear to show one of the evacuation slides on the wide-body aircraft deployed, although witnesses claim all of the crew members are safe and well and are currently inside the airport terminal. Other videos and photos from the airport show passengers cowering in terror after the heavily armed group launched the attack. Information from the scene remains patchy. The aircraft that has been reportedly destroyed is just five and a half years old and was delivered new to Saudi in 2017. Registration Hotel Zulu Alpha Quebec 3.0. Saudi has configured the aircraft with a capacity of 330 passengers. Hmm. At the list price, a new Airbus A330 aircraft can cost as much as $256 million. I uh, know I'm p- p- pays the sticker price. I know. <laughs> they pay much more. Um, <laughs> they only, yeah, who pays retail? Come on. Yeah. Um, Hotel Zulu Alpha Quebec 3.0 departed Riyadh just after 6 a.m. on Saturday morning and arrived in Khartoum. At around 8 a.m. local time, the plane was scheduled to depart an hour and a half later at 9.30 a.m., but the flight is now registered as canceled. Yeah, registered <laughs> no, no as... Funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> Destroyed. The, yeah, the aircraft is canceled, not the flight. Yeah, very much so. Uh, in a statement, a spokesperson for Saudi, Ara- Saudi Arabia... Saudi, okay, Saudi Arabia's... I don't know why I'm having trouble with the words again today. Uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs expressed the kingdom's deep concern over the state of escalation and military clashes between the army and rapid support uh, forces. The kingdom called on the military component and all political leaders in Sudan to give priority to the language of dialogue, restraint, and wisdom. The statement continued. A statement from Saudi Red Saudi clarifies that A330 aircraft flight number SV458 was involved in an accident yeah, at Khartoum mm. before taking off to Riyadh at 7.30 hours UTC this morning, Saturday, April 15th. So that was that uh, just the past Saturday over the weekend. Uh, Saudi's emergency team immediately responded, working alongside all relevant authorities led by the Embassy of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Republic of Sudan to obtain more information about this accident. All flights to and from S- Sudan have been suspended until further notice. In an updated statement, the airline confirmed uh, that the 330 aircraft had been exposed to gunfire damage while passengers and crew were on board the aircraft. All the crew members have been transported to the Saudi embassy in Sudan, and all flights between Saudi Arabia and Sudan have been canceled until further notice. That was what's throwing me off. So it's Saudi Arabia, not Saudia Arabia, although the words... So the the text says Saudi Arabia. Is it Saudi Airlines? It is Saudi so is Airlines. That their actual name. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's uh, okay. whoever's writing this article uh, kind of got some got a little confused there. I think, or maybe they did it on purpose, knowing that I would just read it yeah. as <laughs> printed. That, or this maybe Liz. Actually, now I'm thinking, Liz probably did that. Uh, yeah, she changed I all the it. words yeah. to make me screw up and make me look bad. 
Thanks, yeah, Liz. That, that's my. That's what I live for. Okay, I know. Well, after uh, nearly a week, it's still going on. Is it? Uh, it's on the headline news uh, here in the UK. Okay. Uh, this evening, and uh, you know, trouble is a lot of the fighting's happening in the city, uh, mm. and a lot of shelling in the city. So, uh, um, the the residents, the civilians, uh, are being you know, involved, which is never good. Mm. No, not just the aeroplanes. Yeah, I mean, it should be military people, people that are trained to fight and break things and kill people, not civilians. But this world that we're living in uh, these days, it doesn't seem like there's any um, any difference. No boundaries. No boundaries. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say? It's just a it's a shame that they destroyed a very nice airplane. Yeah, not that old. Well, talking about problems at airports, we have our problems here in the United States, but it doesn't involve, you know, A330s getting, you know, hit with gunfire, at least not yet. (laughs) Stay tuned. Um, But uh, this is from a couple of our community members, uh, Sean McHale and Robert in Tucker, Georgia. And they sent us links to some YouTube videos. And we're going to play one of them because that was the only one that I had time for uh, downloading before our show. And so let me load it up and see their coverage. Things got worse for those trying to fly out of town. Video shows the flooded tarmac at Fort Lauderdale International Airport where all flights were grounded. And getting in and out of the airport, absolutely impossible in some cases. Let's go to Local 10's Cody Weddow, live at FAL with this part of our team coverage tonight. Cody. And Calvin and Nicole, we are on the side of 595 here beside the exit that leads towards the airport. And as you can see, this remains closed because the airport is closed. And on the roads closer to the airport, we are learning of two parallel problems. One, there are drivers stuck in their cars due to water. Uh, The other one is that there are drivers who are stuck because traffic is not moving forward. They have been stuck there for over six hours. U.S. Customs and Border Protection blocking the exit off of Phi 95 to the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Authorities halting all flights in and out of FLL just after four this afternoon. Travelers left stranded. To the airport. Y'all trapped in the airport? How long have y'all been here? How long have we been here? Like two hours. This after flooding. Only what's, two hours? What's the problem? That seems like yeah. they're having fun. Yeah left the runway swamped from the tarmac passengers ready to take off taking these videos showing the standing water yeah the airport is flooded the drenching rain also flooding nice the roads and parking lots around yeah. the airport is. incredible delay God. getting to the airport was insane there's a waterfall of uh water coming down from the overpass many saying they are stuck in their cars with traffic at arrivals barely moving since just after 4 30. Two and a half hours and almost got swept away by the waters. The Broward Sheriff's Office confirming that considerable flooding along Perimeter Road has left many drivers stranded in their cars and they are working to reach them. We came in, there's probably about, what, four foot of water? Or maybe four feet even. Um, (laughs) And I just think it's a water feature, you know? It's, uh... (laughs) well, yeah. Doesn't it belong in the sky, though, this water feature? Uh, Well, it wasn't the sky. Um, before it came no, down out there. of it. See that vehicle driving through the water wow. there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. We're looking at a picture of uh, the tarmac 
and uh, some airplanes uh, that are apparently not fitted with floats. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of uh, just resting there. Well, just... Someone, if someone put floats on their seven thirty seven, they could make a real killing, couldn't they? Oh, kidding! No kidding. Anyway, so yeah, they they ended up getting a a bunch of rain down there in South oh, Florida, bunch. and uh, they I think the what meteorologists call it kind of training, like the weather is just like the storms and the cells just keep covering the same area over and over and over again, like a train going by with a bunch of cars dumping water and uh, that happens occasionally down in south florida that's why it's so beautiful down there in green they get a lot of rain sometimes a little bit more than they want i haul boxes i haul boxes and our live audience fort flutterdale flood lauderdale float lauderdale now i'm assuming that these are perhaps uh suggestions for show titles i don't know or maybe he's just having fun and trying to tickle our funny bones <laughs> just a stream of consciousness there stream, a scream a scream of consciousness yeah stream stream oh like stream, stream i like guess water. stream like water uh okay i'm glad uh you're not putting any uh, comedians out of work liz not at all <laughs> not me all right uh um, liz i she knows i'm kidding or am i um yeah so on a sierra pip 20 plus inches of rain in six hours. That's a lot. That's a lot. All right. Anything else to say? It rains nope. in South Florida. Sometimes it floods. I think so, this, it was closed for two days, wasn't it? I think. Two days. Oh, okay. I don't know how long it was closed. I believe so. Could be. I don't fly there anymore, so I, I don't care. You don't care. Uh, Jingles don't, doesn't is, care. I don't care. And, is it uh, high up? I mean, uh, just the water drain from that? Um, there are parts of the airport that are... Uh, pretty high up, but uh, most of it is apparently, you know, at the water table level or below. I don't know. It's not quite okay. as bad as New Orleans, uh, as far as I'm, I know. But uh, I've never seen yes, flooding like that. Two Lauderdale. days. Two days, mm-hmm. Roger. Radio Roger, our news correspondent, confirms two days worth of closed airport there. And uh, as I was saying before, I don't care. And Jingles doesn't care. Either. All right. Not at all. Never. Uh, shall we move on to this we next shall. item? We all shall. right. This is sent in by Jeff Pietz. Pietz. Um, a man was jailed. Wait, wait, hang on. Where is it from? It's from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Mm-hmm. Um, a man was jailed for two years on Thursday after he pleaded guilty to aiming a laser at an aircraft during his sentencing hearing. Nicholas James Link. 43, of Rochester, Minnesota, claimed it wasn't common knowledge that shining a laser at aircraft was dangerous. Really? (laughs) You don't watch TV news? Not. (laughs) Mm. The judge discredited Link's defense argument, remarked on his extensive criminal record, which includes numerous domestic assaults. Oh, this is a quality guy. He he didn't think that was um, a problem either. No. I mean, what? I mean, is that a problem? No. Uh, Judge William Conley said Link's conduct had put everyone on the Delta flight in uh, incredible danger. Link was tracked down by a Minnesota State Patrol helicopter and local law enforcement after the two pilots of the Delta-operated Airbus A319 from Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, reported the laser strike during their approach for landing at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport on October 29, 2021. The aircraft was flying at a mere 9,000 feet. A mere 9,000 feet. Uh, And air traffic control had just instructed the pilots to change their landing path to another runway when the flight deck was lit up by bright blue light three times. 
The laser strikes caused a major distraction in the cockpit as they were not able to look at their iPads to brief the new approach, the district attorney's office said in a statement. Uh, a captain veteran aviator who had been at uh, been an airline pilot for 28 years at the time of the incident <laughs> suffered visual difficulties veteran. in his right eye for several hours after the incident. In a statement provided to the court, the captain said that following uh, following the laser strike, one minor mistake during this critical phase could have led to catastrophic results. He described described the laser strike as suddenly turning on all the lights in a dark room. The first officer used his iPad to shield his eyes from the light uh, as his vision wasn't affected. But at the time of the incident, he was meant to be using his iPad to brief the new approach. Oh, yeah, that's the way I brief the approaches. I like to stick it right here in front of my face. <laughs> I can't see it very well. Um, you need new glasses. Yeah, you're right, Liz. I do need to get new glasses. Um, Tim, Timothy O'Shea. The U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Wisconsin claimed Link's actions caused a severe safety threat to the safety of the crew and all passengers on board the aircraft. Uh, let's see. Minnesota State Patrol helicopter was sent to the area where the pilots reported the laser strike coming from and was also hit by the blue light. Oh, now there's a smart. dumb guy. Yeah, there's a, the police helicopter. Genius right, right there. <laughs> yeah. There's a helicopter. There's a police helicopter. Ooh. I think I'll shine my light at that one, too. Well, there's no problem with it. Pilots managed, however, to direct law enforcement to where he was, and he was detained by the River Falls Police Department, who found a blue laser on him. Uh, He initially claimed that he had been shining the laser at an unmanned drone. The court heard that for the purposes of the law, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones are considered aircraft under federal law. So even if he was doing that, it would still be illegal. Uh, Okay. That was his first excuse, and then he said it wasn't a problem. Yeah, and... as it turns out, blue lasers are actually um, the most powerful when it comes to visibility mm. and wow. burning ability. Wow. Um, so if you want to burn things, the best thing, the best color laser to grab is blue. So I feel very sorry for the pilots involved because, mm. you know, your career depends upon your, your passing your medical. And if someone damages your eyesight, that could be the end of your career. It could be. All right. Well, let's move on to this next item, which is not from Paddle Your Own Canoe. It's It's from uh, mil.mil.in.ua. Not sure what that is. Some military site. Some kind of a military website, Liz says. Uh, Canada will transfer to Ukraine the AN-124 Ruslan aircraft confiscated from the Russians. This was announced by Prime uh, Minister of Ukraine, Dennis Shamal. Shamal said that this will happen as part of Canada's new sanctions against Russian enterprises. In addition to the aircraft, Canada will transfer other assets of the Russian company Volgna Depner, Dnep, Dnep, Dnieper. Dnieper, in favor in favor of uh, Ukraine. A new package of sanctions against Russia from Canada, in particular against uh, Volga Dnieper. 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 Peeper. How do you get those people? We are preparing to confiscate the AM-124 aircraft and the other assets of the aggressor in Canada and transfer them to Ukraine, the prime minister said. It's parked out at Pearson. Um, Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's been there for like since the war started. Parked at Pearson, according to our producer, Liz. And it's been uh, parked there since the war started. Um, Let's see. Last year, Ukraine initiated the arrest of Volgan Dnieper's AN-124 aircraft in April 2022. The court arrested 12 
AN-124-100 transport aircraft of the Russian airline. Oh, I've never heard of arresting. Well, I didn't know you could arrest an airplane. Yeah, like a, a, an airplane. A non-living yeah. thing. Uh, as part of a criminal proceeding opened at the request of the Antonov State Enterprise. According to the decisions, three AN-124-100 aircraft were banned from leaving Germany and one from Canada. The arrest was made in order to ensure the preservation of physical evidence and subsequent compensation for damages. The Federal Air Transport Agency, Rosa Viazia, illegally granted the right to the company, which is part of the Volga Dnipr group of companies to issue airworthiness, airworthiness certificates for AN-124 aircraft. In fact, in recent years, Volga Dnipr has issued certificates to itself, jeopardizing the safe operation of aircraft, which is a violation of the provisions of international conventions. Aircraft are subject to transfer to the management of the Ukrainian National Agency for the Detection, Search, and Management of Assets Received from Corruption and Other crimes i'm glad it's going to the ukraine i think that's good well it could be useful if the ukrainians can actually start operating uh, these aircraft in and out because Mm -hmm. you know they they need equipment from the west and this might be one way they can get it in there quickly um yeah it's a pretty big piece of kit that's for sure yeah and uh, i think we'll probably agree with the canadians that uh the um the Ukrainians deserve to have these aircraft. Yep, they do. All right. We'll continue Bad on. Bad news for Boeing. Oh, no. Bad news for Boeing. And again, paddle your own canoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boeing has confirmed that it has been forced to suspend the delivery of some 737 MAX aircraft because of a new quality issue that has been detected by a third-party supplier. The aircraft manufacturer, which only recently beat arch-rival Airbus in the first quarter for deliveries, says the latest issue could affect a significant number of undelivered aircraft. The problem came to light after Spirit Aerosystems, which makes the majority of frames for the 737 model. Not Spirit Airlines. Not Spirit Airlines. Thank you. Formally notified Boeing that there was a problem with two of eight fittings that attached the tail fin the vertical, the, vertical, the vertical stabilizer to the fuselage. Spirit says the problem could affect airplanes built since 2019, although Boeing insists that the issue does not affect the air safety of any 737 MAX aircraft currently flying. Unlike a previously qual- previous quality issue that paused the delivery of 787 Dreamliners, inspections required for this problem are in a relatively accessible area, which should make it quicker, much quicker and easier to address any issues. Uh, Here's a quote from a spokesperson for Boeing. This is not an immediate safety of flight issue and the in-service fleet can continue operating safely unless the tail falls off. In that case, (laughs) it is a major and significant issue. Um, I added that last part. However, the issue will likely affect a significant number of undelivered 737 MAX airplanes, both in production and in storage. We expect lower near-term 737 MAX deliveries while this required work is completed. The problem doesn't affect all 737 MAX models, and not every plane manufactured since 2019 has been impacted. The popular MAX 8 and 7, however, uh, are, however, impacted along with the high-density MAX 8-200 uh, used by Ryan 
uh, and a military spec version called the P8, the Poseidon. I think that's what they call that. Uh, Spirit says it's still developing an inspection and repair regime after it identified a non-standard manufacturing process that does not conform with FAA standards. In a statement, the FAA said that it agrees with Boeing's assessment that there is no immediate safety issue. Uh, next item uh, here um, is from... Oh, also I was from, just going to ask a question. Yeah. How come Boeing are called beleaguered and Airbus are called arch rivals? Well, uh, beleaguered has a different meaning than an arch rival, doesn't it? I mean, uh, if you're beleaguered, yeah. that means... <laughs> it's just that, um, come on, you know, uh, I think we've we've all had, heard about Boeing's problems enough mm -hmm. that... They're not beleaguered. They're doing pretty well considering. Oh, uh, well, I, I, maybe they're not talking about their, uh, their income from or revenue from uh, Their aircraft. public perception, maybe? Yeah, I guess maybe, uh, yeah. The public perception has been beleaguered. I mean, it's yeah. just like, oh, no, not another thing for Boeing, you know. Um, yeah, probably uh, right. The FAA proposes extra checks on Boeing 787 Dreamliners because leaky faucet in laboratories leaky faucets in laboratories could damage critical safety systems. The FAA is calling on airlines to carry out extra inspections of water faucets on the beleaguered Boeing 787 Dreamliner. <laughs> I added that. Because of the risk well that done. water could leak from under the lavatory sink into sensitive electronics which are flight critical. In a, notice to in a notice, a proposed rulemaking, which was filed on Friday, the Federal Aviation Safety, uh, the Federal Safety Agency said it wants operators of all 787 Dreamliner models to carry out regular visual inspections of a faucet system underneath the sink that has been known to leak. The risk of leakage came to my sink leaks too. I should have them come out and take a look at that. The risk of leakage <laughs> came to light after one unnamed airline discovered a wet carpet close to the flight deck and traced the source of the water back to a so-called faucet control model, which is located underneath the sink in the Dreamliner to toilet. Module. A module, I'm sorry. Now, what, did I, what did I say, model? Model. Yeah, sorry. Or how about module? <laughs> That's um, for good. Yes. I was, I, oh, I was very French. My eyes were way ahead of my brain. Uh, let's see. So let me read that again. The risk of leech... <sighs> The risk of leakage came to light after one unnamed airline discovered a wet carpet close to the flight deck and traced the source of the water back to a so-called faucet control module, which is located underneath the sink in the Dreamliner toilet. A faulty O-ring seal was found to be the culprit of the leak. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, a, fact, a faulty O-ring... Oh, 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 there you go. Was found to be the culprit of the leak. You disappointed me because I thought for sure you were going to do the seal sound, which happens when someone washes their hands in the sink. During everyday use, only a small amount of water might leak, but in some cases, the leak could damage critical equipment. The airline which discovered the wet carpet found similar leak issues across its 787 Dreamliner fleet. Wow. The FAA did uh, not say how many reports it had received or how many airlines have so far identified the issue. You know, it kind of reminds me of that um, 767 that uh, had a momentary kind of loss of control or partial Loss of control. The one that Greg oh, Peterson yeah, yeah. thought was about yeah, freezing. Yeah, and Greg Peterson uh, sent in, and his theory was that uh, leaking water from the cabin leaked down into an area where there were some control cables and that sort of thing. Um, so that kind of reminded me. Of, well, we we haven't found out exactly what the actual cause 
close for that yet. I don't we? think so. No. No, I don't think so. But I mean, uh, we we shouldn't, uh, and we're not, uh, mark the possibility of big problems coming from something like this because I do remember sitting in New York waiting for the aircraft that I was due to take home, uh, waiting for it to land, only to discover they declared an emergency because half the electrics in the aircraft had gone out. Uh, and they were coming in on uh, using the backup uh, transformer rectifier unit uh, rather than they'd lost a complete side of the aircraft's electrics. Anyway, it turned out that uh, the fault was from coffee leaking from the cup holder area and going down into the tray beside the captain where his flight bag sits on that tray and they cleverly drilled some holes in that tray so that spilt liquid would drain away <laughs> didn't drain away it drained directly onto the <laughs> the transformer rectifier unit the main one for the left side of the aircraft mm. um and uh it fused <laughs> wow so uh, there you go just a, even a little bit of liquid down there in the avionics bay can cause havoc it can neil landwarn has a good comment here jeff uh let me see neil landwarn uh says airbus have the beluga so boeing get the beleaguered I uh, don't think so. And I just, for my own reference, I, I did look up a couple of definitions here of beleaguered. Merriam Webster says suffering or being subjected to constant or repeated trouble or harassment. And then Cambridge like Dictionary, uh, having a lot of problems or difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other, <laughs> the next uh, definition, surrounded by an army. That's probably not what they're talking about. <laughs> no, that's more over in Sudan. I didn't know Airbus had an army. Well, maybe an army of safety inspectors from the FAA. Oh, uh, possibly, yes. From the FAA, yes. All right. Um, let's see. Shall we continue? Okay. Uh, this uh, item is from bbc.com. Uh, wreckage appeared, let's see, a French court has cleared Air France and Airbus of charges of involuntary manslaughter over a deadly crash in June of 2009, which killed all 228 people on board. The Airbus A330 operated by Air France stalled during a storm and plunged into the Atlantic Ocean. The court said even if errors had been committed, a causal link between them and the crash could not be proved. Hmm. Interesting. Families of the victims reacted angrily to the acquittal. They appeared stunned when the verdict was read out at the end of the lengthy public trial. Uh, Daniel Lamy, the president of the association which represents the victims, said the families were disgusted that their long fight for justice had come to nothing. All that remains of these 14 years of waiting is despair, dismay, and anger, Ms. Lamy uh, Lamy said uh, Claire Dorasso, <laughs> no idea how to pronounce these yeah, French names, okay. uh, whose niece died in the crash, said the verdict was a severe blow to those left behind. Our lost ones have died a second time. I feel sick. It was the first trial for corporate involuntary manslaughter to be held in France. Air France and Airbus have always denied the charges for which they were facing a maximum fine of 225,000 euros I would imagine probably for every passenger, right? 
I don't know. That doesn't seem a very um, yeah. high amount, but yes, yeah, it might be. Yeah, it might be per per um, death. The company's said pilot error was to blame for the crash. The investigation revealed that the plane had encountered a high-altitude thunderstorm hours before departing from Rio. When the airspeed sensors froze, gave false readings, the pilots failed to follow correct procedure, lost control of the plane, which plunged into the ocean. The judge said that there had been several acts of negligence by both companies, but there was not enough certainty to hold Airbus and Air France liable for the crash. I don't know about you. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm on board with this decision. I think that there was negligence and errors made by uh, the pilots and, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, the uh, the legal system, of course, uh, has to, you know, be um, particularly if you're going to go for something which is a criminal act uh, in involuntary manslaughter. It was a criminal charge brought. You have to have a very high level of conviction that the proof is there. Um, the standard for a criminal conviction is proof beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, any doubt there is, uh, is in according to French law, uh, must benefit the defendant and the claimant, i.e. the uh, families of the passengers, uh, always bears the burden of proof. And if they were unable to prove the links sufficiently, then I guess that would be the reason for this finding. But uh, I think we know exactly what happened. I think, but from a legal point of view, it's not quite so easy to um, point at exactly where the basis, the root of the the fault lay. I suspect that uh, their system of, Jurisprudence, 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 jurist. Yes, good word. Um, I don't. It looks like it was just the the judge that, or was there a, a jury? Um, not sure. Looks like well, it was I, just, I don't think. I think they have a panel of judges, uh, oh, okay. but I'm I'm not familiar with French the French legal system. I I don't think I've even had a French parking ticket, so I can't say oh. much about that. Really? I thought you had a parking ticket in every country in the world. <laughs> no, I'm well, just, I ordered two beers if that helps. <laughs> well, that's I, I was confusing it with that. You're able to yeah. order two beers in every country in the world. Yeah. Um every civilized country in the world and if the countries that don't uh, have beers to sell you are obviously uncivilized. Well, yes, indeed. Yes. By definition. Well, again, that's kind of, I, I can see how they could be shocked by that uh, judgment, but uh, oh well. Well, I, I'm sure their legal team has been telling them that it, it's going to be cut and dried, and it probably came as a surprise when it when mm-hmm. it uh, what the decision went against them. Yep. Neil says that that was the maximum fine, not per thing, oh not. CBS News says that both companies faced a maximum fine of two hundred and forty-eight thousand six hundred and eighty. That's that's, uh, that's wow. A drop that's in the like ocean. Nothing compared with yeah. You'd almost think that they'd just like settle. Or again, maybe they can't do that. Maybe they has no, to go to trial. It's I reputation, know. I guess. Yeah. Wow. And maybe it was just the uh, verdict they were interested in, not necessarily the fines, because uh, if they managed to get a verdict in the criminal court, 
uh, then it might have been really easy to have followed mm. that up with something in a civil mm. court. True, true. Well, this next item uh, is, is Radio Roger. I hope he's still here with us. He sent this in. This is very mm -hmm. serious. It is very serious. Um, oh, yeah, I'm shocked. Okay. Uh, after, this What's is the a, headline? Uh, the headline is Airline Forced to Remove Sober Buzzkill from Flight to Las Vegas. And this uh, uh, headline, Atlanta. After law enforcement escorted a passenger off the plane and charged him with orderly, uh, orderly conduct, United Airlines confirmed Wednesday that it has been forced to remove sober buzzkill, Ted Barnwell, from a flight to Las Vegas. During our in-flight beverage service, flight attendants reminded Mr. Barnwell that the plane was en route to Sin City and that he needed three shots of vodka ASAP, but he abstained, completely destroying the vibe, United spokesperson James Morales said of the passenger who persisted in quietly reading a newspaper and was later administered a blood alcohol test that revealed, get this, a level of 0%. Far did he, did he get on the wrong plane or something? What I, was his I, excuse? I don't know. Far below the Federal Aviation Administration's legal minimum for travel to Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite repeated requests that he let it all hang out, Mr. Barnwell declined anything stronger than ginger ale, speaking in calm, measured tones that United Airlines does not tolerate on Vegas flights. <laughs> Fortunately, several passengers assisted our crew in subduing the gentleman, inserting a beer bong and forcing him to funnel a Heineken. Reached for comment, Barnwell apologized for his behavior, telling reporters that he had boarded the wrong flight. Oh, you're right, uh, Nick. There you go. He mistakenly thought the plane was bound for Salt Lake City. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, that explains it all. Poor chat. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, the news source. Uh, the uh, Theo Nyan. Oh, wait. The Onion. <laughs> theonion.com <laughs> satire I love the picture, uh, peel that too. onion <laughs> yeah. great picture you're right Liz uh, thank you uh, Radio Roger for uh, for that it was a nice was little chuckle stuff. and uh, yeah that is it for the news that's nice and nice short yeah. and sweet that's what she said and we're going to continue on now with uh, my Get favorite part us. of the show getting to know us Mm -hmm. Oh, I could sing uh, the wrong words, and, and stuff's not here to get upset. <laughs> getting to like us, get getting to hope here. you like us too. All right, getting to know us. I'm looking at our little cheat sheet here in the um, in the show notes, and I see that I have not put anything down, uh, enumerated nothing. So I'm going to speak extemporaneously. Uh-oh. Unless uh, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> I, I pretty much do speak extemporaneously most of the show, by the way. Uh, unless I'm reading news article or feedback. News articles or feedback. There we go. Um, so you mind if I start, Captain Nick? No. Don't. Oh, please do. All right. So uh, since the last show, I flew a uh, two trips. Uh, one was an overnight to Jackson, Mississippi. And, uh, the other, um, one that I just flew this morning, uh, and it was, uh, out to down to Gainesville, Florida and back. And, uh, then I'd go back out again tomorrow, um, for a trip that I really didn't bid for, but, uh, ended up <laughs> getting awarded, but luckily it worked out well because it's a Myrtle beach, uh, turnaround and, uh, the weather should be good for that too. So, uh, this whole system of picking up trick trips as I go through the month is, has been interesting. Uh, so far, I think I like it more than I don't. 
so we'll we'll see uh, what the final verdict here is at the end of the month. But I've already set myself up for doing the same thing in May. I've dropped everything. It's kind of scary looking at nothing on my schedule. CFs, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, let's see. Anything unusual? So the guy I flew with this morning is a pr- relatively new guy on probation, uh, but he has been at several airlines in the past, so he's a seasoned airline pilot. And uh, you sang at a big special church service. Oh yeah, a funeral. Um, that's right. There was a funeral on Tuesday that I was in town to sing for, which uh, was kind of an important thing. It was one of the um, one of the priests that had been uh, a priest for. 61 years, I believe. And um, he uh, had the honorable title of Monsignor. And uh, I guess he must have been a very popular priest because there was a whole section uh, on one of the transepts that was filled with priests. I mean, there must have been, there must have been at least 50 priests there in attendance. And not only that, but the Archbishop of Atlanta and the three auxiliary bishops. There were four bishops and all these priests at our church uh, for this uh, for this funeral, and uh, it was a pretty good show show out or show out uh, turnout for the uh, singers in the choir. There were uh, four um, four male uh, singers. I was one of them, and uh, several um, female voices. And so I think it it was it was an it was a just touching uh, kind of um, uh, end uh, to uh, his earthly life. And uh, that was an experience uh, that was really nice. Um, what else? Um, flying again tomorrow? Did you talk about Yeah, that? I'm flying again tomorrow, uh, doing that Myrtle Beach turn. Uh, oh, I uh, yesterday I had the honor of being a guest on... Uh, Aviator Tony's, and we've, you know, he's been on our show before, and he sent us that great um, feedback for our 500th episode a couple of years ago. And uh, he had been trying to get me on their show, uh, Squawk Ident, and I was able to uh, do that yesterday afternoon. And uh, let's see, so it was Aviator Tony, kind of the the head of the whole thing, and then there was uh, First Officer Terry, and I think it was on a layover somewhere, and then Captain Rob from his home. And um, yeah, we had a great time. Uh, Basically, he was just kind of asking me about my flying career and and then a little bit about the podcast, how that all came about, and uh, how the various members of the crew uh, got on board. And I had to admit to him that I really didn't want any of you... uh, crew members right. at all, but, uh, you just persisted. You're going to ditch us all soon. Yeah, oh, for sure. No, that's not true. How long is their podcast usually? And well, how long okay. did it run yesterday? Uh, you're so funny, Liz. Normally, uh, Aviator Tony's Squawk Ident show is about two hours long, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. And, uh, because I was on a show, <laughs> we had the APG effect and, uh, we went for about three hours. And I really felt bad about that, but it wasn't all me; just mostly. <laughs> it was like um, Aviator Tony to- told us about the uh, experience that he had—an amazing experience uh, on a um, what is it called, the Make a Wish um, mission uh, or flight for uh, several kids. Uh, I don't know if you have Make a Wish Foundation yep. in Canada and maybe yep, in other parts of the world, but you know, seriously terminally ill uh, children um, have wishes that they want to have come true uh, before they move on to 
their next lives. And um, so uh, there were, I think he said 20, 27, I believe, was the number of uh, children that uh, were in various states of sickness. And and it was a very interesting story, and um, including the fact that they almost had to divert uh, due to a medical emergency and some equipment that was um, not malfunctioning, but was running out of juice. And, uh, wow. but they managed to fix the situation and they didn't have to divert. And so if you want to find out, um, about that amazing story, please tune into the, uh, Squawk Ident podcast. I'm not sure when it will be published, but I believe it will be the next episode, not the one that's yet released. Um, and, uh, what else was I going to say there? Um, I knew there was something else I was going to say, and I never—I should have written it down, and I cannot remember what it is. So I guess I'm just going to have to send it to you, Captain Nick, um, and you can kind of get us all caught up with what you've been up to. <laughs> I was gonna—I was not going to speak because I thought I'd be just being fired from the show. Well, not yet. Not yet. Oh, no. Okay. No, I managed to. I haven't got my last pay I, packet yet. I, I managed to say as many nice things about all of you that I could muster. I mean, it made me kind of want to throw up a little bit, but um, <laughs> throw up in uh, your mouth. Yeah, throw up in my mouth. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to have to listen now to find uh, out. I know. I shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He should have staged them. <laughs> So what have you been up to? Captain Nick been Captain doing? Nick? Uh, nothing. Okay. Uh, well, let's, let's move, move on. on. <laughs> uh, yeah, very little. I've been spending uh, too much money. I had to put new tires on the Audi, uh, and uh, I got the uh, the alloys uh, refurbished while I was having it having the wheels put on because they're they're pretty cut up because uh, someone else who drives the car keeps hit the curb hmm. <laughs> that's just not true some of it was me <gasps> what um yeah no. I know. so that left me a bit out of pocket and uh, then i was on a photo shoot uh, a few months back and uh, managed i took my glasses off to uh, hook them into my jacket because uh, um you know sometimes it's a bit awkward using the viewfinder and uh, i managed to drop my uh, <laughs> quite expensive uh, verifocal glasses in the shrubberies around me mm. and never found them again. So, oh, um, they disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't sure where, when I dropped them, I, I, oh. I went, I went back for several days and searched the area uh. of a feeling they might've gone into a stream at one point, but, oh. uh, anyway, uh, so I've had to buy new glasses. I've finally get caved in and bought new glasses because these were my number two glasses, uh, and I didn't bother getting them changed. Uh, I've had two two new prescriptions. Oh, for you, my main you put glasses. them on and go, oh man, I can't yeah, see exactly. anything. <laughs> I feel a bit drunk every time I put them on. Mm. So uh, I, I really did need uh, some new glasses. So that has cost me uh, also. They, n- Actually, not quite as expensive as four tires for the Audi, but getting there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Silvy, yeah. so I'm feeling poor. Um, yeah. So please up your contributions <laughs> this week, please. There's <laughs> uh, a Captain Nick uh, eyeglass fund. Yeah, I, I, I need a pay rise, Jeff. Well, it just makes me mad, Liz. 
she wants us to go to cover art. But, you know, at the very beginning of the show, I kind of hinted at something. And I said, but I'll probably talk about that later in the show. And now I just don't remember what it was I was going to talk about. <laughs> you know, getting old is hell, you know, lose your mind. Mm. Anyway, You can be rude to everybody and they kind of expect it. Oh, I don't think this was it. Uh, but I just remembered something that I thought I think is important. Uh, you know, my, uh, favorite first officer Brent, mm-hmm. uh, who's been in the simulator now. And, uh, today, in fact, I think his session is just about to begin, uh, is his, basically his final check ride, um, in the simulator oh, wow. for, uh, becoming a captain. So today when he walks out of that sim, he basically for all intents and purposes is a captain, at Acme Airlines. And uh, so. Well, fingers crossed. I hope he does well. Yeah, I was hoping to be able to go down there and kind of greet him as he left the. And I may still try to do it. I'm not boo. sure. Boo. You could boo through the. Uh, across the bridge. Boo, boo. Perhaps you'd hear it. <laughs> I could do that. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing that um, I'm concerned about is that. Because these things, these simulators, I think that he's in in there by himself, you know, like has a, a seat filler, another instructor, and it, when that when that happens, it's like the the simulator session is only half as long as a normal sim oh, session, and so I'm suck. I'm not sure, you know, he he could be. I, I'm afraid this is what's going to happen. If I drive down there, uh, I'm going to show up and go, oh, yeah, where where's uh, Captain Heron? And they're going to, oh yeah, he, he was out of here a couple hours ago, <laughs> so. I don't know. I might have to make a make a drive up to uh, where he lives in uh, Cartersville and you know, present uh, my little gift to him. Anywho, um, Captain Nick, uh, would you like to talk to us about this mess of cover art that you came up with? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. It wasn't mess at all. It's very uh, interesting. Uh, we, clever. Yes, very clever. We were talking <laughs> yes. a lot about. Brass monkeys and uh, brass monkey balls uh, on the last episode. Indeed. Doctors and nurses. Freezing and, the balls off a brass monkey. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. The plane and yeah. we're also talking about doctors and nurses. I can't remember I'm why. I don't know what context <laughs> <with> that, <laughs> what the context of that was. But okay. Yeah. I, but so I needed doctors and nurses, and I thought, oh, what, what better image could we have than standing around an op- uh, uh, a bed or an operating table with uh, a, a monkey there looking to have his organs transplanted back onto his body. Mm. So that was the uh, origin of that. So we got a little monkey with his, well, it's supposed to be brass balls, and they didn't look very brassy, but, and he's obviously cold because he's got a woolly hat on. Yeah, they look kind of like uh, big giant lemons or something. Yeah, I think that, well, they're originally tennis balls. I, I ah. scrubbed out the lines, but oh, okay. uh, you'll have to use your imagination. So well, I knew exactly what it was by... when I saw him holding those items. <laughs> Good. Uh, he's surrounded by uh, doctors and nurses. So a couple of images there from Midjourney. Uh, the background with all the doctors and nurses, that's one. Uh, and the monkey is a separate one uh, because I couldn't get the the AI to do the whole thing in one go. Mm. Uh, we, I, I maxed out its ability there. Mm. Well, <laughs> it I, either I... turned all the doctors and nurses into monkeys, <laughs> uh, which I, or it just lo- looked really weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we also had to fit the Cape uh, Cobra 
in the oh yeah, spotted look at room. that at the foot of one of yeah, the nurses. Cape Cobra that slithered around inside that cockpit for a while. And uh, the APG number is pretty easy to find the show number. So yep, you on the, have any problem finding the fellow's that. little uh, name tag. Name tag, on the right. yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting. We know we've talked about this before. Mid Journey is an AI um, uh, image um, creating thing. And uh, it's it has trouble with fingers. And I thought it was very clever the way it basically look at all their postures. And um, most of them are in some way hiding their hands. Yes, they are. And so you Indeed. can't really see... You know, if there were more than your normal five fingers on every each hand, you wouldn't really spot it. And uh, there's only one really yeah. that I can, hand that I there's, can see. There's clearly. one nurse that looks like she's got a, an extra little finger, but mm -hmm. other than that, which might be handy. No, no, uh, they've managed to yeah. hide their hands, even though this is version five, which is yeah. to remove the problem. Hmm. But there you go. Yeah, that looks very nice. The, the monkey's only got three fingers, by the way, I noticed. Oh, well, it, how many fingers is the monkey's? Oh, they're they supposed to have an opposing thumb, right? Yeah, they do. You you can see the opposing oh, yeah. thumb, but okay. only, only three, three fingers. fingers. Do they have five? Or like That's a bit like, um, uh, you know, the Simpsons. They've all, all the Simpsons have only got three fingers. Oh, well, that must have been where it sought its... Um, it's information. Possibly. Yeah. You never know. Cartoon, a lot of cartoon characters only have three fingers. So, okay, what's uh, in, in our live audience here when we're doing the show, recording the show? We have a live audience. Tim Van Ram is with us today, and I'm not sure how to interpret this message, that this comment that he just made. Um, uh, some, what do they call these, emoticons? No, those are called um, emoji. Um, poop, poop, monkey. It was because Nick was talking about his number two glasses. Yes. And he was <laughs> oh, about number okay. Two. okay, I understand. Because Nick was talking about your number two glasses, special glasses that Nick wears <laughs> when he is using the restroom, apparently. Okay, I got it. Okay. All right. I can barely keep up with these people. It's straight over my head, Tim. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm coming oh, in for just a minute. Come on in, Liz. Yeah, I just wanted to say, this is not talking about me, thank goodness, this time. But when I was talking on the last show, we were talking about um, who collaborates to get the show together every week and, and how, yeah, I do some stuff, but definitely Captain Nick does his plain tales that he writes and records and also does the cover art. And, and Jeff, of course, does all the post-show uh, work to get it um, edited and published. But I totally forgot to mention Radio Roger, who is an absolutely key person in getting the show out every week. And I, I'm lucky enough to be the one that sends him the material that he needs to do his recording. And he's a busy guy, but he always seems to be able to fit in some time to do record our intro. So. Thanks, Roger. I just wanted to make sure that wasn't missed. Yay, Radio Roger. Great for awesome. Radio Roger. Thank you. Love Radio Roger. All right. Thank you, I've Radio been Roger. up to see him in his studio there in New York. Oh, yes, you did. Watch him work. Cool. I didn't get to see him in his studio, but I got a chance to have a wonderful dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, you did. Uh, ah. About a year and a half ago. So thank you very much for that. Got to meet his family okay. and everything. See you later, guys. Okay. Coffee fun time, Jeff. Get back down your hole. Cheers. There you go. <laughs> All right. Gosh darn it, I still can't remember what it was I was going to talk about. Oh, well. 
I guess now the only thing that really left to do is uh, talk about the uh, coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. Community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The coffee fun. That's Jeff Smith. He writes jingles for a lot of very, very fine podcasts. And ours, too. <laughs> um, all right. The coffee fun is your way to support the show financially if you have the financial resources to do that. And a couple different ways we have. Uh, woo, um, Sorry. <laughs> coffee fund uh, classic method. Okay, go. Um, and this guy right here, Thomas McCaffrey. You know, I talk about people making generous donations, but I mean, he made a very, very generous donation. $250. Yay, oh, so, Thomas. Thomas, thank you so much for that. Oh, and by the way, uh, when you do make um, donations, you can also add notes. Oh, it looks like I got to log back into. PayPal. Darn it. See if I can do that uh, quickly. Um, And he sent a note with his um, contribution. I can already tell now I'm going to be running long on the Coffee Fund Classic. uh, I mean, the Coffee Fund segment here. Okay, let me read what he said. And uh, it's, it's loading. It's loading. Here we go. It says, Dear Captain Jeff and others uh, at all, Long-time listener, your podcast makes my 45 to 60-minute commute fly by. Pun intended. Keep up the good work, Tom. So thank you so much, Tom, for the very, very, very generous contribution to our show. And then while I'm at it, I don't believe I read the uh, note that uh, uh, Louis Zipes sent um, a couple of episodes back. And he, he said, uh, enjoyed the APG players skit a lot. Remember, we did our little fun. dramatic. So uh, we fun. need to do more of that. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, even reduced the playback speed to 1x to full and fully enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> he's one of those guys that listens at a higher speed, I like guess. Chipmunks. And um, anyway, he says, thanks for the continued great content. Uh, Lewis, or he says, Lima Zulu. Yes, I know initials are frowned upon on this show, but it will have to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we'll we, we accept full names or initials either way and then again uh, I don't I may have mentioned um, Vernon Tryons when he did a nice contribution to us Um, again a couple of shows back uh, he sent a note as well he said dear AGP crew hmm Mm. oh he meant to send this to the Airplane Geeks Geeks, podcast oh well well. Uh, he says uh, since I've been spending sending in so much feedback I thought I'd put my money where my mouth is. Keep up the great work. Vernon Tryon, APG addict in Fort Morgan, Colorado. So thank you. Did you want to talk about the other way to donate? Yeah, I'll just quickly mention that there is another way to donate. Most of our um, uh, contributions come in from uh, Patreon. Uh, You can be be a patron of the show by pledging a certain amount per content per show. And generally, that's four or five episodes a month. And um, we have several uh, people who are patrons of the show, and we do appreciate you. And uh, we have no new patrons for this week. 
uh, but uh, we're doing just fine there. And, um, you know, people come and people go. I don't ever talk about the people that uh, leave uh, or are no longer patrons, but I uh, just have hope that uh, maybe one of these days they'll come back and be uh, patronize the, the show again. Um, so if you're interested in any of that stuff, uh, you can head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And there you'll learn how you can become part of the coffee bar club. And uh, you'll be glad you did. And we will too. And uh, so let's move right on into some feedback. Yeah, hi. Captain, incoming message. Okie dokie. Now, I just got to figure out where that is. Here's the first piece of feedback. This is from Robert in Tucker. He says, I did not know that Major Daly destroyed the runways back in 2000. Mayor Daly, not Major, Mayor Daly. Gosh, I can't read today. Let me start over then. I did not know that Mayor Daly destroyed the runways back in 2003, which led to court cases and a fine from the FAA. Then on July 28, 2003, an aircraft flying from Maine to the EAA, Experimental Aircraft Association Annual Convention in Oshkosh, which is called AirVenture, or just everybody calls it Oshkosh, uh, made an emergency landing on the grass next to the demolished Miggs Field runway. Mayor Daly accused the pilot of, in- of intentionally landing in order to embarrass him, despite the FAA's statement that the pilot did the correct thing in landing the plane at Miggs Field. I thought the crew listeners would enjoy these photos and history. So uh, we're showing that's Miggs Field before it was destroyed by Mayor Daly. Nice looking little airport with that yeah. beautiful marina beside it. Yeah, and it's like right. I mean, you can see it's right there near uh, downtown Chicago. Yeah, and but it's it's well out into the water, so you know the noise level would have been, I'd have thought, quite respectable. Yeah, yeah, he did this like in the middle. In, in, there were there were fights about whether to you know leave the the, uh, the airport open or 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 close it permanently, and uh, in the middle of the night, he had a bunch of. Um, surreptitiously uh, yeah surreptitiously had a bunch of uh, bulldozers and other heavy heavy uh, construction equipment going in there and just uh, basically just tear up the runway so they couldn't use it anymore um anyway uh liz tells me that if you want to see all the photos uh and history from this article uh wikipedia article uh, we'll have uh, links to that in the show notes thank you robert and let's see, we have this from Sam Dawson. And uh, so I think Captain Nick is Sam's favorite uh, APG crew member. So I'm going <laughs> to let him take this one. Well, only because I, I met Sam uh, and uh, we went out for a few beers. But um, he submitted uh, a um, piece of writing to uh, um Flying magazine, uh, quite a famous magazine. It's the, in the section ILAFFT, which if you know the magazine, you'll realize stands for I Learned About Flying From This. Um, anyway, he um, he tells one of his own flying stories, which I read and found it fascinating. I, can't, I haven't got time to read it all. It's quite a long piece, but... Uh, it relates to his time as a newly minted U.S. Army aviator 
and UH-60 Black Hawk pilot being based in the Republic of Korea in 1988 and uh, how much he enjoyed it out there and um, how the rules uh, for flying were very simple. Don't fly into the prohibited area of the capital, Seoul, uh, and don't fly uh, into the Korean president's TFR. Uh, as with the US, these were likely to pop up unannounced and don't ever, ever stray north of the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, into the People's Republic of Korea, uh, known as North Korea. Um, so <laughs> this, this relates to a, a flight where they were navigating with stopwatch and compass, as so many of us did in those days, uh, and became uh, momentarily unsure of their position. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and in an abundance of caution, uh, turned and head south, just in case they had strayed. Uh, and anyway, it's a great story and uh, definitely worth a read. So uh, um, I don't know if we're going to be able to link to that article. Um, yeah, Jeff, but, I will. Uh, um, I will uh, somehow. Uh, yeah, we'll have a link to this, and people can read it themselves. Absolutely. So I, I would recommend. Thanks very much indeed for sending that in. So that was a great read, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now I'm a little confused. I always thought that I L A F F T stood for I laughed aloud from foot tickling. So <laughs> I have no idea. I learned about that from or whatever. I, actually, I think there are probably several <laughs> interpretations for that. Um, uh, yes, it yes. is an educational show, or maybe not so much educational, but entertaining. <laughs> we hope. Yeah, you know we could do both. Yeah. We try for this, Jeff. What's that? Yes, we do. We shoot for this. There we go. There's the APG 50% guarantee. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. Well, speaking of. Um, uh, edutainment or yeah. uh, whatever uh, you want to call it. Um, we have some feedback from uh, a host of a, a very, very good podcast entitled the plane safety podcast. And let's just play the audio that we received from pilot Pip. Hi guys, it's Pip here. On one of your more recent episodes, you were talking about the jet upset occurrence with a Challenger 300 aircraft, uh, in which unfortunately one of the passengers was um, was killed. And as a, a current and rated pilot of that series of aircraft, the Challenger 300 350, uh, I thought I'd uh, chip in with a bit more detail. So I fly the Challenger 350. Uh, this aircraft we're talking about is a Challenger 300. Essentially, they're the same aeroplane. There's a few minor differences. The 350 has a, uh, a slightly uprated engines and a, a, a bit more range and a few minor differences. But uh, essentially, it's it's the same aircraft. The aircraft, uh, the systems are pretty well identical. Now, I have seen one or two other conversations around this with other YouTube celebrity pilots and podcasts, and they've been talking about pitch runaway. Um, but that's absolutely not the case here at all. Uh, there was no pitch runaway, although clearly there was a failure with the pitch system. Uh, but I found reading through the NTSB preliminary report uh, quite uh, quite an interesting read. I mean, obviously, as a, a rated pilot, I'm, I'm very keen to, to see these things. Uh, but for me, there were a number of errors there in this sequence of events. But crucially, I think there were 
two places in particular, two red flags where they really should have, these guys should have picked up uh, on what was happening. Two places where the Funyuns were aligning or we were crossing the Funyuns, whatever it is Funyuns do, but two places where, um, yeah, really they should have, um, following SOPs, procedures and checklists, had that been done properly, would have taken them off in a, a different direction and probably this accident wouldn't have happened. So um, I, tr- I tried to count exactly how many ICAS messages there are um, and I lost count, but there's about 300 or so individual CAS messages that can flash up on the screens. Some of them are red, some of them or the bulk of them are yellow messages and some of them are blue advisory messages. Now, each one of those CAS messages, whether they're blue, yellow or red, does have a specific and individual checklist in the QRH uh, associated with it. Uh, The red ones, obviously, uh, many of those have memory items or immediate drills associated with them. Um, Most of them are pretty simple, to be honest. Uh, One or two of the yellow ones also have a a memory item. Uh, But as I say, they all have an individual checklist. So these guys, initially they they had a problem. They'd left one of the pitot covers on, uh, which they discovered during the takeoff roll at relatively high speed. Mm, okay, you know, we all make mistakes. That's too bad. Uh, whether that somehow triggered the chain of events further on, created some kind of problem with the airspeed system, with the computer, with the, you know, with the logic in it, I, I'm not 100% sure, I must be honest. Uh, could well have done. Uh, but they found that one, sorted it, had another attempt at taking off, uh, at which point the first of the the red flags, the first of the Funyuns, to my mind, happens. Uh, The report stated that on taxi back, they had a rudder limiter fault. That's a blue message. It's a blue ICAS message. There is a rudder limiter fail, which is a yellow message, and a blue rudder limiter fault. Either one uh, or both of them have uh, a specific checklist associated with it, uh, which they had a look at. They had a look at the blue checklist, which says something. In fact, I've got it here. I can tell you exactly what it says. I've got it in front of me on my company iPad. So rudder limiter fault blue message says a minor failure resulting in the loss of redundancy has occurred in the rudder limiter system. Okay, that's pretty much all it says. However, if they had followed their Bombardier procedures fully and correctly the next step would have been to go to the back of the qrh the back of the checklist well where they would have found a go no go uh, list this is essentially a list of faults for each condition says whether you can take off with that fault and or whether you're you're grounded and if you can take off there's usually some sort of mel um allowance or some sort of MEL procedure that you need to follow. So had they done that, had they gone to the back of the checklist, looked at the go, no go for a blue rudder limiter fault message, they would see it says very clearly a no go. So that should have been the end of it, really. Uh, That meant they couldn't take off. They would have had to have taxied back, shut down the aircraft and and got that problem sorted out. More than likely, uh, just a full kind of control alt delete would have solved the problem. Just shut down the aircraft fully, reboot it. More than likely, the problem will be removed. Uh, however, I was interested to note that the uh, PIC stated something to the effect that he'd seen this message several times before. 
uh, which I find a bit suspicious because in the nearly two years I've been flying this particular jet, I don't think I've ever seen that message. So it does suggest to me perhaps this aircraft, you know, was a little bit sickly that there was something going on if they were getting this message regularly. Uh, but he tried to clear it by doing the the stall test. Not quite sure why that would clear it, but maybe it had worked for him in the past. But anyway, that was red flag number one. That should have been the end of it. It's quite clear in the QRH that is a no-go item. Anyhow, they, they did go with it. Um, and later on, they then found themselves with a whole bunch of ICAS messages, uh, a whole bunch of yellow ones. Um, from memory, there was a mark trim fail message. There was a uh, autopilot stab trim fail. There was an autopilot holding nose down message, which, as I say, every single one of those have a very specific checklist. And when you go to the QRH, the checklist title is exactly what it says on the on the screen, on the ICAS message. So if they've got a message saying autopilot holding nose down, the checklist in the book is called autopilot holding nose down. Okay, there, there should be no confusion. Uh, unfortunately, and this is kind of red flag number two, they, I guess, rushed into it and without really thinking it through, they had a look at the QRC, which is the quick reference uh, card, which is kind of an abbreviated... A copy of of the major faults. One of those is a yellow pitch stab trim fail, and that's the checklist they run. But pitch trim stab fail, or whatever it was that they did, is not the message they had on the ICAS in front of them, and that's really where they they fail foul because they immediately followed that checklist and. The first step on that is to turn the stab trim off. It's a three-way switch. You have the primary side, the secondary, and the off. And they turned it off, and of course, the because it was so out of trim, the autopilot was holding a considerable nose-down force. The second they turned it off, you know, the aircraft was uh, was away at 4G or whatever it was. They stood no chance. So uh, had they just... Uh, slowed down perhaps a bit or at least taken the time to confirm which was the correct checklist they would have found themselves at the either the autopilot holding nose down or was it nose up i can't remember now or the autopilot stab trim fail you know sometimes it's tricky when you've got a whole a bunch of messages in front of you which one do you go to first um, i guess that's where a little bit of experience and airmanship uh, perhaps comes into it uh, either way, though, in this particular case, they could have taken any one of those three uh, messages, autopilot holding nose down, uh, AP stab trim fail, or indeed the mark trim fail. Uh, had they gone to one of those checklists, I'll read it to you. This is the very first line of each of those checklists. Warning, it says, with a big red flag next to it. An abrupt change in control force or an out-of-trim situation may be experienced by disconnecting the autopilot. Smoking signs and seatbelts should be selected on. That's the very first step in that checklist. So again, had they gone to the right checklist, first of all, uh, that might have, uh, A, triggered something in their mind to think, oh, you know what, if we turn this autopilot off, or if we turn the stab trim off, bad things are going to happen. And even if they didn't realise that, at least perhaps they might have had everyone sat down with the seatbelts fastened and we'd be, you know, just talking about a minor jet upset rather than a fatality. 
Uh, so that's really unfortunate. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time recently or recent years in my company in sim sessions, in CRM sessions, that kind of thing, talking about uh, rational decision making as opposed to intuitive decision making. That's to say, very simply broken down, we don't want guys rushing into stuff. We want people to stop, think think through their actions, think through the consequences of their actions before they do it, rather than, you know, rushing into something without really thinking, how's that going to affect me later on? What's the consequence of moving this switch? So there you go. Uh, it was a simple matter, in a nutshell, simple matter, really, of, of not following the right checklist. Something as basic as that has unfortunately resulted in the loss of a life. Oh, and incidentally, Nick, you, you got it absolutely bang on, because I think you did... Um, offer the thought that they hadn't followed the right checklist and yeah 100 percent uh correct there the question was asked about seatbelt policy in bizjet operations uh just as an aside i don't know how all bizjet companies out there operate uh for us it used to be which i, I assume is probably quite similar to you guys seatbelts on until ten thousand feet then commander's discretion whether to turn them off or on uh, for us, that changed a couple of years ago. We are now required to keep the seatbelts on all the way to the top of climb and then turn them on again at the top of descent, which yeah, I find a, a little bit over the top, but that's a corporate policy forced upon us. Uh, anyhow, that's it. Sorry to have rambled on. Uh, you knew I would. I tried to keep it brief, but hey-ho. Anyway, uh, take care, guys. Uh, thanks for giving me the time on the show. Bye. Hey, Pep. Awesome feedback, and you can ramble on all you want because it, it, it wasn't rambling on. Maybe you think so, but uh, it was really, really good information. and, and uh, Yeah, it, very accurate technical uh, breakdown of uh, what the problem was. So thanks for that, Pip. That is one of the most dangerous things, I think. And one of the things I fear most and dread most when I'm in the simulator is not necessarily whatever is happening to the airplane or a simulated uh, happening to your airplane. But if I'm the one that has to choose the checklist to run, I'm hoping that I'm going to choose the correct checklist. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and sometimes you're in the, in the midst of things going wrong, especially like overwhelmed with several different messages, you kind of panic a little bit instead of just like, okay, wait a minute. Okay. What is, what is it that's going on here? Why, why do we have all these messages? Let's think about this before we do anything. And if they had, as you said, you know, if they had chosen the correct checklist, there would have been that big giant red flag warning, you know, something bad is going to happen. There's going to be some kind of a bump. There's, it's not going to be a smooth thing. Why don't we make sure that everybody in the back is in their seat with their seatbelt fastened? And uh, we probably yeah. wouldn't be talking I, about this. Exactly. No, I agree hundred percent in the early days uh, when I was uh, flying Airbus aircraft, um, we used to be able to use the electronic checklist sometimes but most of the time we also had to refer simultaneously to the quick reference handbook the qrh um, and uh, it wasn't particularly well written and often the drills referred to a second drill and then even a third drill so whoever was trying to run the checklist had the electronic checklist, the QRH in the other hand, and perhaps two or three fingers in different positions because now they've got to try and cross-refer to other checklists to make sure that they cover all the actions. And some of the most important actions 
were written as little fine italic notes uh, that went along with it. Not something big and bold. Uh, and a classic was, uh, I, I, from memory, I think um, if you had a problem with a main landing gear stuck uh, and you were forced to land with a main landing gear that was unsafe or retracted, um, you weren't supposed to do it land with the center gear down as well. You had to make sure the aircraft was configured, the center gear was up. Uh, and uh, that wasn't clearly laid out in the early days. Uh, and it was after we actually had an accident where, or an incident where we did, an aircraft did land with one of its main gear uh, stuck up, uh, that the crew nearly, they've done so many attempts to deploy the gear and retracted it again and put it down again they got themselves uh so muddled up that they'd made their final approach with the center gear in the wrong position and it was only the third pilot and this shows the importance of the guys in the back of the cockpit who aren't directly involved with doing all these actions one of them uh, was reviewing everything and it might not even have been in the qrh it might have been in the fcom manual which he had out on his lap said uh, guys, uh, we're not allowed to land with the center gear down. And they were so short of fuel, they were almost in a position where they couldn't do another go around. Um, and they got that gear into the correct position and landed safely. But, you know, aircraft um, paperwork and drills do develop through real experience. And it was partly as a result of that and partly as um attempt to rewrite all the manuals and QRHs into a more normal English, as opposed to the franglaise, which they were originally written in, that made it so much clearer and safer for us to try and follow. And the electronic checklists improved enormously. And also the ordering of the checklist as the processors became faster. Uh, the computers could order the checklists in the correct sequence of um, importance. So we didn't continually have the fire, which was the original problem, disappearing off the page to be replaced by something completely inconsequential that had happened um, as a result of uh, systems uh, failing. And you're trying to find your way back to the fire drill so you could action it. Um, and then, uh, you know, it used to be a bit of a, uh, not exactly funny, but almost comedic in the sim, trying to clear pages and clear drills so you can get back to the important one that you started with. That sounds like a mess. I've never experienced an electronic checklist uh, setup, so I could see how that could be a little confusing. Yeah, the, great concept. But in those early days, the Airbus computers weren't frantically fast. They were like 286s and 386s, uh, their, their processors, which, you know, put, that was before Pentium. Uh, so yeah, they were they were very reliable, but they were not fast processors. So sometimes those electronic pages were laborious in coming up. Well, thanks again, Pip. Again, that's uh, Pilot Pip, uh, Plain Safety Podcast. Uh, we'll yeah, good man, Pip. I, I, we need another uh, another podcast out of you. I, I do enjoy them. Yes, very entertaining and educational. All right. Uh, let's continue this with, uh, oh, also on the subject of that Challenger 300 incident from Carl. 
says, not sure there will be anything more on this one, but that aircraft is likely totaled that referring to that Challenger 300 that uh, had a lot of G-forces, both positive and negative. He said the maximum low factors on this aircraft are plus 2.6 to minus 1 G. Both were exceeded during the upset. I think it was like 3.8 and at one point, maybe 4 positive, and then uh, negative 2.3. Yeah. 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 I think I think they exceeded just about exceeded four G at one point, but I guess the guy got into an oscillation and made the situation worse. Right, and then he sent um, a link to an, a PDF of the Bombardier Challenger three hundred limitations. Um, wow, twenty seven pages. Yikes! <laughs> Cloud Cloud my airplane doesn't have that many limitations because usually. Mm. And I'm sure it's true in the world of corporate flying as well. Uh, when you go in for a check ride, they expect you to know all of the limitations and all of the quick uh, or immediate action items. And uh, <laughs> wow, that would be that would be tough. That's a lot of a lot of information there that they have to be able to spout out or wow. spit out. Max takeoff weight seventeen and a half tons. I think. That's, I, I, you carry more fuel than that. Fuel. Than yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, everything's relative, I guess. We, yeah, right. we carry over 100 tons in fuel. Yeah. I don't. I, uh, I was just looking out the, the window here of my apartment. Uh, yeah, they have a here in Roswell, uh, historic Roswell, um, starting in April and ending in um, October. They have a, a special uh, celebration, a live, uh, live music and. You know, people can walk around with open containers, uh, alcohol in open containers, and it's a beautiful day. And it's the third Thursday of every month, again, April through October. And this is the first one that they're having since I've been living here in this apartment. And uh, they said that um, it kind of gets dicey because parking is very difficult to find here in the historic Roswell area. And a lot of people like to go ahead and just park in our apartment uh, parking lot. And there's a there's a police car from the city of Roswell over there with his blue lights on, uh, I guess, querying people as they come into uh, the entrance here, uh, whether they really belong here. And there have been several warnings from our management here that say, if you don't have a sticker, a parking sticker on your car, you better uh, not park here because your car might get towed. But um, anyway, I just hear a very loud vehicle out there, but I haven't heard anything from the uh, a lot. Good. The uh, noise assist plug-in on this uh, interface is doing its job, which is good. I'm just taking a look at this through these limitations. They've got a, a rough penetration speed, Jeff. Oh, well. Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maximum rough penetration weep, speed. Weep, That's, weep, weep. Uh, okay. Moving along. <laughs> well, thank you for... Yeah for pointing that out. Okay, um, let's continue on with some more audio feedback. This is from Pasadena Brian. Um, he says, hope all is well. Uh, here's a shameless plug. I hope you'll play on your show. I was able to fly my 3 million miles on United the other day, and it was super special because the purser made an announcement. The pilots also gave me a signed copy of the flight plan, complete uh, with a map showing where I crossed the three million mile mark. You probably wow. heard that. I heard that. Yeah. yeah, heard that. Yeah. Get a muffler. <laughs> All right. Um, 
and I've enclosed some pictures to go along with the audio. It was so much fun and hope you do something special for your passengers yeah. when they achieve such milestones. So there we have some of the Absolutely. pictures. Absolutely. Well, it is a, an achievement. It's mm -hmm. an awful lot of air miles. It is. And to go along with these nice pictures, we're going to play Brian's audio. So here we go. Hi, Captain and Jeff and crew. Here's the shameless plug for you. I wanted to let y'all know that I've achieved my goal of flying over 3 million paid, revenue, actual button seat miles with United Airlines. As many of your listeners know, our main man Micah and I have been documenting my quest to achieve lifetime United 1K status on the podcast, thejourneyistherreward.org. This really has been a journey. I set a goal to fly the remaining 300,000 miles in less than 18 months, and 13 months into the project, I've done it. Yes, I've flown 300,000 miles in less than 13 months. I'd also like to take a moment to thank Dispatcher Greg for letting the pilots of Flight 1123 know I was on board. Because of his efforts, the pilot gave me a copy of the flight plan, along with a map showing the exact spot where I crossed the 3 million mile mark. It was super special and something I'll never forget. If the people want to learn more about my adventures of the last flights of this project, they can listen to Mike and me talk about them on episodes 38 and 39 of thejourneyistherewar.org as soon as we're finished recording them and finish with the edits. In the meantime, here's an announcement from Purser Kathleen on flight number 1123, where she let everyone know on board what was going on. On behalf of all of us here at United, we would like to recognize one of our very important passengers, Mr. Brian Coleman. It's completing three million miles on this flight with us this evening, and we would all like to congratulate him and thank him for being such a loyal passenger and customer of United Airlines. Thank you, Mr. Coleman. I thought there was more. Sorry. <laughs> Who's this bloke, Mr. Coleman? He's I don't know. Brian. I don't know who uh, Mr. <laughs> Coleman is. I guess he must have another three million miler on ah, on, uh, on the flight. Yeah, well, that's brilliant, Brian. Well done. That's yes, fantastic sir. achievement. Oh, that 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 deserves an applause. Very very nice. Absolutely. Congratulations well, on so, yeah. goal achieved. All right, and I wonder what the plan is now for passenger well now he gets to fly free all the time doesn't he isn't that what he uh, the rest he, of his life i don't think he flies for free does he doesn't he gonna get on any airplane kick any passenger off and just go i'm flying on this flight i don't know well you nothing. know i somebody that might know uh who's in our live audience and he's probably busily typing uh some kind of a response to that uh, oh yeah speak. micah, uh, micah. Who uh, is the uh, co-producer, co-host of the uh, podcast that uh, Brian was referring to, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, we're just waiting for Micah's response. If he's still there, maybe not. Okay, uh, the next three feedback items are. Oh, okay, we finally got the response from my uh, main man, Micah. We're not 100% sure. Uh, we're going to record episode 40 probably tomorrow, go over some of the statistics and uh, how much uh, did this cost him and some of his favorite places and where he's been. And and uh, what um, some people were guessing is that he flies for free now, and I'm thinking that's probably not right. But 
Um, I, I was kind of joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming there must be some pretty impressive. Yeah, you got to uh, get some kind of a perk for being uh, in that yeah, one K exactly. club or whatever it's called. Um, awesome. All right. So the next three items uh, deal with uh, somebody. I, I can't remember. Zeb. Zeb. Zeb, I believe. Uh, yes, yeah, Zeb. That's right. Uh, Sending some feedback uh, talking about using uh, PC SIM software. Uh, to, um, you know, practice uh, procedures and that sort of thing and get him, help help prepare him for uh, flying tasks. And um, I really didn't have any answer at all because I, I don't know anything about PC simming, um, haven't had any experience with it. But we put it out there for our community to uh, chime in and send us some feedback. So, Let's uh, start with the first one here uh, from Sam. And uh, is this Sam Dawson? I believe it uh, is. Probably. Yep. All right. Um, the last episode had a listener asking about the use of a simulator prior to training for their private pilot certificate. Modern simulators and flight training devices can be very beneficial in flight training, but I would caution someone in thinking that they can teach themselves to fly on a simulator. It for, is Sam Dawson. Okay, yes. thank you. It is Sam Dawson. First, in learning, there is the law of primacy where first impressions make strong impressions. If a person teaches themselves something incorrectly in a simulator, their instructor will have to unteach it during uh, the real flight lessons, often adding time and money to the private pilot certificate. Second, simulators are great as procedures trainers, but uh, during private pilot training, but not very good at teaching air maneuvers. Uh, even some of the better full motion simulators have a tough time duplicate, duplicating slow flight stalls and spins. But when it, when it comes to things such as how to start the airplane, get a clearance, taxi to the takeoff runway, then reverse the process after landing, simulators can save quite a bit of time and money. They can also be good for training procedures such as an engine failure where the pilot has to have the procedure memorized as there may not be time to pull out a checklist. Finally, they are they are good for doing maneuvers that may not be safe in the actual airplane, such as an engine failure just after takeoff. I will often give pilots a number of these in the simulator until they have them nailed, much like the dreaded V1 cut. Instrument training is a different beast. As pilots, we want to ignore the uh, proprioceptive inputs and uh, rely on our instruments when flying in instrument conditions. A flight simulator is a very good training. Um, let's see. A flight simulator is very good for training this, and I will often make sure a pilot can do instrument patterns, climbs, descents, turns, etc. in the simulator before we go to the airplane. These can be boring, but they are like scales and music. Just as there is no point trying to play Chopin on the piano if you can't play scales, there is no point in flying a DME arc to an ILS if you haven't mastered basic instruments. The simulator is also good for honing skills, practicing procedures, and trying difficult approaches. Yesterday in a simulator, I was able to practice the dreaded VOR or TACN 15 approach into Martin State, uh, Mike Tango November, an approach I've, I'm convinced was made by a military instructor exam or instrument examiner. I'm attaching a copy of the approach. A constant DME arc to the missed approach point. Ooh. <laughs> the missed approach is to fly a radial to another DME arc, then flying that arc to an intersection hold. 
Finally, the simulator is, again, very good at practicing instrument emergencies that are tough to duplicate in the actual airplane, such as vacuum pump failure followed by the attitude indicator and directional gyro tumbling. In the airplane, we use sticky notes to cover the instruments, but in the simulator, the instruments slowly tumble, and usually by the time the pilot realizes what has happened, they are in an unusual attitude with partial panel. Ooh, that's not not a place you want to be. Uh, as always, great shows. Keep the sunny side up. And uh, so I, I was, I, I assume I, I didn't actually, I wasn't paying attention. Liz, were you showing the uh, instrument approach yep. plate? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's quite, quite something there. The uh, instrument approach, uh, DME arc, um, and then the departure procedure is a DME arc. To, wait, no, a DME arc to a, the missed approach point and then a radial to another DME arc on the, on the miss. <laughs> wow. That's like yeah. very cruel and unusual punishment for a pilot. Well, we, I became pretty good at these um, when I was in the, on the Phantom of all airplanes because um, whenever we had a, an imaginary war, uh, we had BDZ procedures, which I'm trying to desperately think what they were, but uh, uh, it basically meant that they, the Arapia missile uh, system that defended our airfield was going to be uh, playing wartime, going to be uh, theoretically active. And um, we had to uh, approach on a 10-mile arc. Uh, so when you arrived at the airport, you had to fly around the airport on this 10-mile arc and then uh, come down the um, approach path to the runway, uh, which was the only safe lane. And if you didn't fly that, the, the rapier boys, somebody acting corporal out in a field with his any rapier on a Land Rover would have with with glee would uh, shoot you down. Uh, so well, for real, very good at flying that ten mile arc. Well, I guess even a lot oh. of incentive. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And yeah. a ten mile arc in an airplane that you're flying pretty, you're probably what three hundred knots minimum or higher. Uh, we used to fly at instrument pattern speed on this, which was not at all tactical. We used to hate doing it because we're back down there at uh, sort of 200 knots. So, oh, so you're uh, not slow and all, all configured. Yeah. And all. Okay. We were, yeah, because we flew at India Mike as well. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but it used to amuse the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Sam. Um to send your thoughts about uh, flight sims. And uh, let's see, this one is from Basim? Basim? Basim, I think. Basim. Um, let's see, Basim Agad. Uh, hello, APG Guru. I got feedback for fellow listener Zeb's flight sim questions featured on 564. Feel free to forward directly to him with my contact information or share on a future APG episode. This is easier. We share on the episode. I have a flight sim set up at home. I use it recreationally and professionally as a commercial pilot, practicing for actual sim checks and maintain uh, IR skills in general. Uh, VR sets, virtual reality sets such as the Oculus 2, talking about the headsets, work perfectly on most aircraft in Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 and provide a rich experience, especially if used along with actual flight controls, which one can physically and intuitively hold while immersed in a virtual flight without using clumsy VR joysticks to reach for virtual controls and switches. 
I find VR headsets extremely useful during approach and landing segments of a flight, but otherwise an ultra-wide monitor is more practical than a VR set. My recommendation is to invest in a good quality trio of a yoke or side stick, throttle quadrant, and rudder pedals, irrespective of the flight sim software installed. I personally use and recommend the ones from a company called Honeycomb. You also might want to explore investing in a glass cockpit panel or avionics accessories from the likes of Real Sim Gear. If you're interested in VFR flight planning and or IFR flight planning or IFR flying, a subscription with aeronautical charts, navigation, and planning data providers such as Navigraph is extremely recommended. Further, many flight sim users plug to virtual air traffic control service providers. They do a great job in managing the simulated airspace and airports. I never used it personally, but I imagine it might be a great way to practice radio telephony and phraseology. Uh, wishing you virtual headwinds at takeoff and landing, tailwinds and cruise, artificial blue skies and simulated unlimited visibility. <laughs> Very funny. Warmest. Uh, Bossom from Jordan. Oh, Jordan, uh, the country. Jordan. Country, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, featured in uh, APG 516, unusual attitudes, uh, old pilots, plane tails, don't upset the jet. Hat tip, Captain Nick. Stand by for news and feedback on the progress of my aviation career soon. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you very much, Bossom. Nick's got his mic off. Okay, Nick, you are muted. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, I remember now, I, I, I met some when he was doing his upset training uh, with the um, British. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. Um, aerobatic school. I'm trying to remember that if that was the proper name for it, but uh, drove up to quite a long way north, and we met up and uh, had a good chat. And I watched him go off and do one of his trips with a lovely uh, uh, Polish uh, MiG-29, ex-MiG-29 pilot, who was uh, his instructor that day, and also interviewed the guy that ran the school uh, and his thoughts on upset training. So that was a fascinating day and lovely to. Uh, to meet uh, Basim, and I was, uh, you know, interested to find out how he was going to get on with his uh, career in civil aviation. So, so it's it's absolutely Basim, hat tip back again. You said Basim is the way he pronounces it. Well, I, I I think I think that's right. Okay. Yes. Well, Basim hey, send us some audio feedback, Basim Basim Agad. Uh, he speaks Agad. fine English, so mm -hmm. that would be no problem at all. Yeah. Please, so, please so do. you know exactly how to pronounce your yeah, name. And remind me how to pronounce your name. Because yeah. I, I do remember asking him at the beginning of the day. And now, of course, it was a while back. It slipped my mind. Yeah, not a common name here in the U.S. or the U.K., apparently, um, that I'm aware of. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we'll continue on with the third Sorry, item Jeff, regarding flight Can I flight just sims. interrupt you for a yes, minute? Yes, you may interrupt me, Liz. That was um, "Don't Upset the Jet 2 was the uh, plane tale that where Nick talked to Basim. Okay, uh, in uh, the the plane tale was "Don't Upset the Jet 2 uh, where on APG five APG five one six. So we'll have. Uh, I'll try to remember to put this in I'll the show notes. I'll put it in the thing in uh, Evernote. Okay. Uh, let's see. So the third in uh, installment, no, not really third item, uh, or piece of feedback regarding flight sims for, uh, Zeb 
is from uh, John Joby Bullock. He's a private pilot, a single engine land. He says, hi, Jeff, Liz, Nix, Steph, and Rick. Attaches my feedback on the question which came up recently on Flight Sims. Uh, given the absurd amount of money, time and money I spend on this stuff, <laughs> I'm happy to submit my two cents. See, it's worth it. See, it's fun. You know, tell tell your significant other who may be complaining about all the time and money you spend on it. If you have somebody that does that, uh, you can say, "Look, this is why. This is why I've yeah, been doing this. I need to because I need to inform my fellow APG community members." Hello, APG crew, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Nick C. Steph. Wow, huge fan here. First time calling in. My name is Joby, coming at you from cold, rainy Seattle, Washington. Been listening to you guys for several years. Really enjoy what you guys do. And I am compelled to provide some feedback, some friendly advice uh, to your listener, Jeb, or Zeb, or I'm sorry. I probably got his name wrong, but I heard him asking about flight simulator questions the other night, and I'm sure you've gotten a ton of responses given the popularity of flight simulators these days. But I am a private pilot. I'm a single-engine land-rated VFR pilot like you, Nixie. I did a little bit of IFR training but never really completed it due to career and, and kids and life in general. Um, I'll be 60-something years old this year, um, but I have been a flight simulator guy since 1980. I want to say 1988, something like that, maybe even before that. The first uh, flight simulator that Microsoft did was actually written by a guy by the name of Bruce Artwick from the University of Champaign, and that company was called Sublogic, and that really kicked off flight simulators on PC. Fast forward you know, 45 years later. And yeah, virtual reality um, is really the creme de la creme on flight simulation technology right now. So to our friend Zeb, who is getting started in this, X-Plane 12 is a great simulator. Microsoft Flight Simulator, um, just released a couple of years ago, is also fantastic. The two have different pros and cons. There's plenty of stuff on YouTube to figure out which simulator is best for you. Um, I just wanted to chime in with my two cents worth. Virtual reality is really a game changer. You put the helmet on or the headset or whatever you want to call it, you're sitting in the flight deck. You know, you're, you're sitting in the cockpit. You're no longer staring at a monitor. And the cool thing about it is, if you get your joystick set up correctly, you really get a feel for um, you know aircraft physics. You got one hand on the throttle, one on the yoke, two feet on a rudder, decent set of rudder pedals. And uh, set up a crosswind, and yeah, you know, there's some good some good training to be had there. I wanted to chime in because I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there that are you know using either one of those excellent programs. My friendly advice is that you know just be careful with flight simulators because as as enjoyable as they are as a real pilot, you got to be careful not to develop um, bad habits. There's no, you know, there's no ATC worth mentioning. Sure, you can do online flying, but you got to really watch out for the bad habits that can creep in. Um, at the end of the day, you want to be in the aircraft with a competent trainer or a competent instructor is the term I meant to use and really get to know um, what flying is all about, including the airspace and how to handle your aircraft and you know, handling yourself as a pilot. And you're just not going to get that from a computer simulator. Sure, there's benefits and it's very enjoyable. But 
you know, it doesn't come without caveats. Anyway, hope that helps. Um, been listening to you guys for a long time. Really appreciate what you do and uh, look forward to seeing you all soon. Take care. All right. Great information. Thank you, Joby, uh, for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I was actually ex- expecting to get more feedback regarding that. Maybe we will over time uh, because you know it takes a while for people sometimes to listen to these whole episodes. Um, so, uh, but I'm sure we'll continue to get some more feedback regarding this uh, for Zeb. Uh, but thank you uh, again, Joby, for your your experience with uh, flight sims. And it always uh, seems to be very positive. People really enjoy. Um, I say playing with flight sim, but if you're not a professional pilot or even a GA pilot, uh, then, you know, it's a good fun computer game. But I I love hearing about real life applications where, you know, you can turn your living room into a, you know, a mini simulator to improve your skills as an actual pilot, which I think is incredibly valuable. It is for sure. All right. Um, just doing something here in the background. Okay. Uh, number 11 is from else Piloto or (laughs) Piloto. How are are we pronouncing that now? Piloto or Piloto? I like Piloto. Uh, hello, APG crew. Sorry, Captain Nick. Uh, yes, I'm back. Uh, not for a rant, but to flex my only other quote talent. Monday morning quarterbacking, Captain Nick's contributions to the conversation. He's a nitpicker. <laughs> <laughs> I know okay. that. Um, okay. Right. I better get on with it before Captain Nick unplugs the internet. In <laughs> uh, APG yeah. 564. It, uh, yes. No, I was just going to say here. Uh oh. What hmm. happened there? Probably the uh, swiping uh, error. <laughs> i'm not doing anything i'm not touching anything no all right i'm okay. here i'm braced now okay Get, braced take, for impact. take your take your uh fingers off the mouse <laughs> <laughs> so what were you saying you were uh, we caught just a couple little words here and there uh we weren't sure what you're trying to no, i was just saying i was going i'm leaving oh he's, he's okay no you're not um, okay. And APG five. Oh, I get it now. You're unplugging the internet. Gotcha. And APG five sixty four discussing the air new Guinea pressurization incident. Captain Nick talked about the crew needing to pressurize a cabin for landing. However, they in fact needed to depressurize the cabin after cocking up the first crack at attempting to normalize the cabin pressure. I don't know. It was kind of confusing to me. This is Jeff speaking. Um, uh, not else Peloto. The, the whole narrative seemed like it was not clear uh, exactly what was going on inside this jet, whether they were pressurizing, depressurizing, what checklist they were running, whatever. But anyway, back to El Spoloto. They were under pressure. Uh, le- uh, oh. or maybe they weren't. Uh, let's wind back a bit to the flight passing 10,000 feet when the flight crew noticed their failure reset the landing elevation, failure to reset the landing elevation. The ready for it, Jeff? Oh, shoot. I wasn't ready for it. Hang on. Okay. I think if I hit this. All right. Uh, let me move this over so I can keep this in focus. 
Okay, let's wind back a bit to the flight passing 10,000 feet when the flight crew noticed their failure uh, to reset the landing elevation. The, ready for it, Jeff, Delta P would most likely be relatively normal, even though the system believed the aircraft would be landing at 5,500 feet. Quick tangent for my fellow listeners who may not know, the ambient pressure around you decreases as you climb a mountain. but we need a certain amount of said pressure to force oxygen into our blood. See fix law. So as aircraft climb, cabins are pumped up like balloons to allow comfortable breathing. Aircraft cabins like balloons are now under stress and have a large pressure difference referred to as Delta P. But here's the crux. To keep the equivalent ground pressure in the cabin in the cruise, this would require a much thicker aircraft skin, thus more weight. The trade-off is a cabin altitude of about 8,000 feet, not exceeding 10,000 feet, to keep enough pressure for the majority of Joe Public from toppling over. Pressure is regulated by adjusting how much air can escape while constantly feeding air into the cabin. So now you know. Back to 10,000 feet. The pressure in the cabin was probably not too far from the equivalent pressure at 5,500 feet on a mountain. To be honest, if the pilots didn't touch the bloody thing and descended at a slower rate than 1,000 feet per minute, things would have been all right because it's not possible to negatively pressurize an aircraft with the packs on and the aircraft would have fully depressurized by 5,300 feet. My understanding is they manually close the outflow valve, forcing the pressure to increase, thus aiming to make the cabin pressure more like the pressure sea level where the diversion airport is, but overdid it and or forgot to monitor it. On approach, I calculated the equivalent cabin pressure altitude at the time would have been, been around minus 8,000 feet. So now that pressure needs to be released before landing. In contrast to what Captain Nick said, after they... After that, they must have started swinging on the outflow valve switch. The cabin pressure would have shot up and maybe down again, forcing air in and out of sensitive cavities. As Captain Nick quite rightly explained, anyone with a cold would have ha badly suffered as mucus and infl inflammation would have impeded the ability to equalize the cavities. Now that I've thrown Captain Nick into the mud, I shall join him. Many moons ago... As a low-hour pilot and only 200 hours on the 737-300, I departed on a flight for that day. Even though I had so little experience, as you said before, Jeff, something didn't feel right as we climbed. My ears were popping a lot, and that made me look up at the Delta P. It read zero, and the cabin altitude read 9,000 feet plus. Uh-oh. I informed the captain, and he leveled the aircraft. We ran the QRH checklist. First item, engine bleeds. I turned white. I missed that the engineers had them off during pre-flight, and then I missed them again after engine start. Big learning moment. Since then, I have been very careful not to fall foul of expectation bias with switches or other parts of the operation. As we couldn't get the digital cabin pressurization system to work, it was back to manual control. Whoop, whoop, warning, warning. That's dangerous. Um, and uh, let's see. At, the, at that pressured moment, I remembered the words of my Australian type rating instructor a few months earlier when practicing manual control of the outflow valve. Quote, 
Move the outflow valve to close at roughly 80% of the way there. Only blip it every two seconds and don't go twanging it around like a teenage boy with the bedroom door locked. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> by gosh, those words stuck good in my head and I managed the pressurization fine by using a few blips here and there once the Delta P stable was stabilized. From memory, I opened the outflow valve fully at 2,500 feet and the landing was normal. Once again, thank you for a wonderful podcast and I do appreciate it. Cannot be easy to comment on the fly. No, it's not. And uh, sometimes we don't get it right. May your engineers need not fiddle with your switches and if they do, return them to their rightful position. Els Palato. And he said, P.S. All puns were intended. So your response, Captain Nick, to this. There was uh, a pun in there. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't, me. Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> Captain Nick's rising from the mud. Oh, right. Probably. Oh, okay. Captain Nick's th rising from the mud. Mm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. He was I, I mean, I don't want to sound too defensive. I make plenty of errors on the show. Oh, I'm sure Getting I do. my head around capping pressurization uh, has always been something that I've uh, struggled with a bit. But I did go back and listen to what I said just to see if I really did drop a clanger. And I, <laughs> I, the meat of what I said, I think, was the pressurization system was still trying to keep the cabin pressurized as if they were landing halfway up a mountain at their original destination, Mount Hagen does. So they ended up with this mismatch. And I listened to the audio, and I think I did a reasonable job of not committing myself as to exactly what mistakes they made or what should have been done with the pre pressurization system, other than to suggest they did it a bit fast. Though I did get, at the end, get myself twisted up by definitely saying, uh, in this case, the cabin would have been at a lower pressure than sea level, so you've got to let air out. And I should have said higher, which is logical if you have to let air out. Luckily, at that point, Nick C stepped in and uh, rescued me. So, uh, I don't know. Um, are we going to accept any more feedback from Els Pilato? No. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got, he's got the next one, and that's it. I've, I have a vote on this, don't I? Uh, you do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know what my vote's going to be. So is there a, another one from him? Caesar yeah, the, the next one's his too. Oh, she said the next, the very next one is from him. But so then that's you, it. Right. Then well, we can off. skip that, can't we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, come on, be nice. You know, I think the only thing that <laughs> I, I dread more. You than didn't say that to him. <laughs> tell him to be nice. Okay. You know, the, I think one of the things I dread more than actually trying to handle some kind of a pressurization issue is actually trying to explain what's going on when you have pressurization issues and how to what you're supposed to do to fix the situation and i'm sure i don't even want to go back and listen to what i said because i'm sure i was like all twisted up and made and nothing uh -huh. made sense so i, uh, I mean i know for a fact that uh, i've seen guys in the simulator move the outflow valves completely the wrong direction uh, and even the, the labeling on the outflow valves in the Airbus was uh, confusing because you're never sure whether it referred to the position of the valve or what it was going to do to the pressure in the cabin. Uh, so, you know, it, it was it was not easy. The, what I can say was you're quite right, Els Pilato, if you're going to do something with the manually controlling the outflow valves, 
we only used to move one of them at once. We used to <laughs> set one in a, in a reasonable position and then just move the other one so that, you know, you could see what was happening to the cabin pressure and uh, if necessary, correct your mistake. But we did it like you did it. We made small blips and leave it for five seconds or more or 10 seconds to see what effect that would have before you did it again. Yeah. Uh, very gingerly you can definitely get into a kind of a pio with that and or make two large movements of the outflow valve and man it's just once that happens i mean it's like particularly if you're moving the both outflow valves together Mm -hmm. which is why we tended to set one in a good position and then just move the other one yeah we only have control and all the airplanes that well all the airplanes that i've flown in the last 20 something years um, only, it only has one controllable outflow valve. Uh, so makes it a little bit easier. All right. Did, still did not easy. Liz put this one up? I don't know. I sometimes, this is from, from my, my whole boxes. I sometimes inadvertently open up the outflow valve, but I've always said, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's you'll important. keep that outflow valve of yours closed if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. I was going to go here to uh, this other piece of uh, feedback from El Spalato. Um, he said, here is the proof. <laughs> he says, to all those who think I'm nuts for suggesting landing or ditching with uh, the gear down, here is the proof. I stumbled across this while aimlessly wandering the internet. And my wife says, I waste my life. Poof, I say. And here's the photo. So we're displaying it now. Um, there you go. I mean, obviously, leaving the gear down is the way to go if you're going to ditch, right? Of course, that's not what they're doing here. These are very skilled pilots that are just very, very gingerly, gently skimming the surface of the water with their big, fat main landing gear tires. Um, I guess this is our, these are T6 Texans, I think, or are they uh, Harvards or? Uh, the T6s, I don't okay. know what the, the name of them. I think that's Texan, I think. Uh, or okay. I don't know, was the original T6 called the Texan? I think it was. I know the, uh, I'm not, I'm going to stop talking because I know I'm going to say something <laughs> wrong. So. I think you were right when you said T6. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it does look impressive, but I have to ask myself why. Because only really another pilot appreciates just how dangerous <laughs> I know. that is. The general public would probably look at that and go, oh, every, every pilot can do that. Well, yep. I don't think I'd want to try that, <laughs> to be honest. I, I once uh, competed in a competition to become the Hawk Aerobatics uh, man for the year. Uh, and uh, part of my display was doing a low-speed loop, uh, which is a bit difficult in a Hawk because it doesn't have a huge amount of thrust. So the idea is you you cut you. You start off at low speed and you basically balance the airplane on the jet pipe until you get enough height to gently ease over the top and then come around. And uh, my boss said, that's, you know, you flew that beautifully, Nick. He said, but, you know, you're, you're always on that maneuver so close to um, your stall all the way around it why are you doing it? Because the only person who's ever going to appreciate that is another Hulk pilot. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, yeah, got a good point there, boss. Mark Anderson uh, has a great yeah. comment here, Jeff. Oh, 
he's he's uh, the referring to the picture of the uh, skimming <laughs> airplanes. Yeah, very, they were, I think they were landing good. in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well done, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Making good it. use of the conditions at the Fort Lauderdale. Well done, airport. brother. boxes <laughs> are telling you which what aircraft. They are. Uh, and that is the Texan in the USA Harvard Commonwealth. Okay. Oh, I think we nailed all the. We we ticked all the boxes yeah. there. Yeah, let me uh, absolutely let me ring the bell. All right. <sighs> yes. Wait. No, we're not below Sorry, fifty. One, there we go. Okay. One. We're just cl- hey, just <laughs> climbing back up again. That was just a mistake. That was a mistake. We're just dipping below the surface. Well, Liz was yeah. dipping sure, below fifty percent there. I was. That. That's my fault. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's continue with item fourteen, uh, Nick, uh, from Luke. I've learned of a helicopter crash that happened 600 yards from my aunt's and my grandparents' house. My aunt did not know it had happened until she woke up and saw dozens of police cars. My dad has been listening to you since Catholic weekend, and I have recently caught the aviation craze. Thank you for informing me about aviation. Thanks, Luke. Oh, you're welcome, Luke. Yeah, not a lot of people that listen to this show. I know there are are at least one in the... uh, uh, in the chat room in our live audience right now that can claim the same Mike Kuypers, uh, Mike Kuypers. Uh, he's listened to me mm-hmm. yeah I'm sure he's listened to all of the Catholic weekend episodes that was a lot of fun I really miss doing that show anyway uh, so he's referring us to uh, the NTSB final report in uh, Port O'Connor Texas and uh, this happened on March 6th of this year 2023 uh, on March 6th, about 21.57 Central Standard Time, so just before 10 o'clock at night, a Robinson Helicopter Company, RHC R44-2 Helicopter, November 494 Sierra Hotel, was destroyed when it was involved in an accident near Port O'Connor, Texas. The pilot and passenger sustained fatal injuries. The helicopter was operated as Title 14 Code, of, uh, basically uh, FAR Part 91 Personal Flight. According to the pilot's family members, the intended destination of the flight was unknown. A preliminary review of automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, ADSB data, showed that the helicopter departed from a road next to the pilot's residence. That's handy. The helicopter departed to the northwest over a lake. The helicopter performed a teardrop to the turn to the southeast and traveled to the north, passing over the lake again. The helicopter then performed a turn to the east uh, over a road. And the data showed the helicopter descend to the south before the ADSB data terminated over an open field next to a home. Um, again, uh, 2157 and 15 seconds. On March 7th, about 1030 in the morning, first responders notified the Federal Aviation Administration that the wreckage was located. A post-impact fire consumed the wreckage. The National Transportation Safety Board, the FAA, RHC, the manufacturer of the helicopter, and Lycoming Engines responded to the accident site to conduct documentation and and examination work. The direct distance from where the helicopter departed from to the accident site was about a quarter of a mile on a northeast heading, so not very far. The area to the east of the accident site consisted of a swamp with no ground lighting sources. Big black hole. The helicopter was found to be equipped for instrument flight. However, the helicopter was not certified for instrument flight rules, IFR, by the FAA. The wreckage was recovered from the accident site and transported to a secure location. The closest official weather reporting location was from the Calhoun County Airport, uh, Port Lavaca, Texas. 
uh, located about 20 miles to the northwest of the accident site. Uh, at about the same time that this accident occurred, the automated weather observation system reported wind from 160 at 6 knots, visibility 5 miles with mist. Okay, that's going to be uh, not good at in dark conditions. And the ceiling broken clouds at 500 feet AGL. That's a low ceiling. An AirMet Sierra for IFR conditions was issued at 2200 for ceilings below 1,000 feet and visibility below three miles with mist and fog present. Uh, a neighbor whose home was about 1,000 feet southwest of where the helicopter took off from observed the helicopter's anti-collision lighting system operating as it departed from the road reported that it was extremely foggy when the helicopter took off. The neighbor reported that she could barely see her boat dock from her living room, which was about 75 feet away. Ooh. At the time of the accident, yeah, the sun good. was more than 15 degrees below the horizon, while the moon was about 50 degrees above the horizon at an azimuth of 109 degrees. The phase of the moon was a full moon and was 99.7% eliminated. The pilot, who is not instrument rated, hmm, had previously attended the RHC pilot safety course in September 2008. That was quite a quite a while ago. Um, so yeah, this looks like a classic um, someone who's not really certified, qualified to fly in instrument conditions in a helicopter, which is hard in VFR conditions, yeah. I think. And then you know, get into fog and low ceilings and low visibility. You know, that's I mean, that's a recipe that's nice. for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And without really an aim, he doesn't appear to be, have been going anywhere. Was he just flying around in the in the moonlight for fun? I don't know. No, no one seems to know. So. Yeah. Probably drinking too. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just joking there. Please don't sue me for that. <laughs> we like to joke about fatal well, we, we accidents. Joke. We joke about fatal accidents. Um, yeah, that's it's sad. It really is. But, I mean, I think, I mean, he's been around for a while, and uh, he should have known better than to, I mean, I don't see how he, you know, the weather just crept out of no, crept up out of nowhere. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure that uh, you know there was a decision made that this would be a good idea to fly an airplane, uh, an airplane, a helicopter of all things in this kind of bad yeah. weather. I mean, this is yeah, not good. Thanks, Luke, for sending that in. Yes, thank you. I Luke, mean, he for only went that in. a quarter of a mile. He so he hadn't been flying around for long, really, had he? Oh. No, no. I think he probably just fl probably flew right up into that broken layer and just lot yeah, had lost it. Oriented, yeah. yeah all right well um this is from texas anyway remarkable yes. that your aunt and grandparents were so close i'm glad that they yeah. didn't get involved in that yeah for sure i forgot about that fact that he mm. mentioned at the very beginning um yeah that would have been bad news to involve innocent parties in yeah. this whole thing Wow. And that, those Robinson helicopters, they're not the easiest helicopters to fly, are they? Because they're pretty much all manual. I think so. There's not a lot of sophistication in them. So you've got to be, you know, have, have your poop in a pile to, uh, yep. to pilot one of those. You've got to have your poop in a group. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. All right. Uh, let's continue on with uh, this next one from Texas Anlashock. 
Uh, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. First, a little note on my previous feedback. I sent the video in with the timestamp for the portion that would be most relevant to us, the flight to the island. I was a little puzzled when you started it from the beginning. Hmm. Oh, we're talking about the Jurassic Park thing? I yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I guess I somehow missed that. Uh, go ahead and throw up the uh, below 50% uh, uh, up there, Liz, if you okay, don't Okay, here it comes. Okay. All right. And I I, I have to add Not again. this, too. Sorry. Oh, um, failure. I don't even know if I could go on, actually. I'm, I'm so disappointed. I think disappointed. we may right, just well, wrap it up such now. such a major error. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, anyway, uh, I'd, this is Texas and LaShock again, continuing. I'd heard at some point that you could actually recreate the flight and that they would play the Jurassic Park theme as you make your approach to the landing area. This video is the one that confirmed it, identified the outfit in question, and most importantly, revealed how much it costs. And now I have another Steven Spielberg classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ooh. If you haven't seen the movie... What's wrong with Not you? Go see time. it. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it actually when it came out. Yeah, me too. Long time ago. <laughs> yeah, listen. Yeah, me too. Long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, near the beginning, there's a scene. And, and one of the reasons why I, I enjoyed watching it is because uh, they filmed, uh, you know, the neighborhood that uh, they, that the, it's set in, uh, yeah. the regular, uh, like, uh, ranch style brick homes that was filmed in Mobile, Alabama. So oh, cool. it looked very familiar to me. Um, Anyway, uh, near the beginning, there's a scene in uh, the Indianapolis ATC as an airliner has an unusual encounter. The scene is completely in the center, utilizing something called sensor suspense, and that the actual action is never seen directly. We only see it via the radar screen and hear the voices of the pilots on the radio. So I thought I'd ask if any of you had found yourselves in a situation like this, how would you have handled it? And would you have filed a report afterwards? Uh, oh, there is a video here that I um, have not downloaded. Oh, um, that's my fault. Sorry. If it hey, no problem. Um, okay. So since it's going to be critical for us to answer the question, uh, because it's in reference to this video, let me see how long it will take me to just quickly, I hope, if it's under six hours, we'll go for it. I think it's going to be under six hours. We're going to find out right now. Let's okay. see how big this style is. Um, I mean, it's if it's only the three... entire movie, is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we just come back tomorrow and we can uh, play the well, movie. Let's all just watch the movie for the next four hours. Uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty quick. Okay. Cool. <laughs> That's what he and said. And I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, okay. So let's uh, do this. Uh, present a video file, and uh, there we go. I'm going to open that up, and it's going to be ready to go um, shortly. Okay. So I thought I'd ask, if any of you found yourselves in a situation like this, how would you have handled it, and would you have filed a report afterwards? Also, can you tell me what airline they're talking to here? For years, I thought the controller was saying Area 31, which I took to mean his control sector, but I recently realized he was saying Ares, Ares 31, a call sign I don't recognize. He also communicates with TWA and Allegheny flights, which 
are were both real airlines. So I don't think they make this one uh, or they make one up. Thanks for your response. Keep soaring and may the UFOs keep out of your way. Or if you actually want to see one, may they cross your path. This is Texas Amleshock signing off. Okay, so did he give me a timestamp for this one? I'm trying to find. Uh, don't think. Or is do I just oh, yeah, play he it? Did. For... He did. Did he say something? Just a minute. Hang on. Okay. Because I don't see it. I'm quickly scanning. Here, I don't. No, I don't do, see do, do, do. it. I'm going to. Near the beginning, there's a scene in the Indianapolis ATC Center. Okay, hmm. so near the beginning. Well, let's see what happens if I just play this thing to the from the beginning. Okay, here we go. Oh. EWA 471, contact 134.4. 344, what's this? Keep an eye on that point out I gave you. He's on 122.5. I'll be right back. Indianapolis, Senate, you have any traffic for Area 31? Area 31 negative. The only traffic I have is a TWA L1011 in your uh, 6 o'clock position, range uh, 15 miles. And an Allegheny DC 9 in your 12 o'clock position, 50 miles. Uh, stand by one, I'll take a look at broadband. Area 31 has traffic 2 o'clock, slightly above the descending. Aries 31, Roger. I have a primary target about that position now. I have no known high altitude traffic. Uh, stand by one, I'll check low, over. Dick, will you check low altitude and see if they know who this is? Center Aries 31, the traffic's not lower than us. It's one o'clock now, still above me and descending. Aries 31, can you say aircraft type? Uh, negative, Center, uh, no distinct outline. Uh, Tell you the truth, the target is rather brilliant. It has the brightest uh, any collision lights I think I've ever seen. Alternating white to red. Colors are a little striking. Center, this is TWA 517. Traffic now looks like extra bright landing light. I thought Aries had his landing lights on. Could be a satellite. Aries 31, I He's have the primary target now in your uh, 10 o'clock position, uh, 5 miles away. And let's talk. Let's talk a lot more. Let's talk. Non-ballistic motion. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. 
Uh, I want to drink a beer in the bar. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> true. God, I want to go home after this flight. Uh, spend my night doing paperwork. I'll try to track traffic to destination over. Great movie. Yeah. It was. Uh, or is, I should yeah. say. Um, okay. Remove that from the stream. But maybe. I can understand why they wouldn't want to report it because when you land after a long flight, the last thing you want to then do is sit down and write a two page mm -hmm. report. Exactly. But there you go. My favorite part was all the people talking all at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's just normal, isn't it? All their traffickers do that. Do they? Oh, okay. Yeah, they all talk to each other at the same time. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Yeah. So Nick, what? Uh, so the question was, uh, had we ever heard of this uh, call sign? And honestly, I I never have. But uh, it looks like you dug up some something. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it, but I I found it uh, on the Squinty Net. Uh, you can call us uh, the alternative to Google if you like, um, <laughs> or can I Google that for you? Um, so yeah, uh, we should ABG is, that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there is. Uh, um, I, oh God, do I have to try and pronounce that? Yes. Cause I don't speak <laughs> Colombian Spanish. I'm sure you'll they? nail it. Uh, Erovias de Integración Regional Essay. Nailed it. Uh, acronym Ares. Um, also, uh, it became part of LATAM Airlines Colombia. Oh. formerly known as LAN Columbia, okay. uh, and it's a Colombian airline. So, yes, there go. it was. It is, was an airline uh, founded in uh, 1980, so that would have been the right period for it, and mm -hmm. it turned into LAN Columbia in 2011. Very interesting. Wow, mm. you learn so many just amazing things by, by, <laughs> yes. by watching or listening to our show. Absolutely. Uh, oh, iHall Boxes says, APG it, if you can do with 50% of the results. <laughs> yeah. I'm very disappointed with that. I know. Yeah, but we've, we've, we've become used to you, Mr. Boxes, Captain Boxes. So <laughs> get back in your box. Okay. So what was our question here? Um, how would we have I've, handled the situation? Have, have you ever seen a UFO? I've, I've seen things that I couldn't identify. But I don't believe they were extraterrestrial uh, yeah, that's, objects. Yeah, that's the kind of difference, isn't it? You see yeah. things and you go, I wonder what that was. And then you go, oh, a while later you might, well, oh, it was just the moon reflecting mm -hmm. off that cloud or it was just a a, a star that mm -hmm. I could Near see through that gap in the cloud and I didn't realize, yeah, mm -hmm. it was on the horizon. Or even a reflection Motion. on the uh, windscreen, you know, and lights inside yep. your cockpit. I mean, that can kind yeah. of play tricks on you as well. Absolutely. But uh, I, I've never had anything that I would deem suitable for reporting. Would I have any worry about reporting it? No, absolutely not. Other than the pain of having to sit on the flight deck for 20 minutes while the other crew try to get on board and do their job while I did the paperwork. Um, that's about it. Much rather so head to the hotel bar and enjoy a nice cold one. Well, we, yeah, this is what you want to do, but, uh, but we would have to do it on the aircraft because all the paperwork went into a folder. No, I mean, and not the do aircraft. the, don't do the paperwork. 
just <laughs> go to the hotel bar and but drink. But I, I never had any worry about filing a, a report mm -hmm. because it just adds to the database of knowledge. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, sharing your experiences so that other people can learn from them. And uh, I think it's very valuable. So, uh, And in this yes, situation, I, I mean, you know, I, I would have known probably that they were um, – filming a movie and i'm thinking well i got it all you know so <laughs> no reason to do a report it's like going to be on you know that's film. Right, but that that movie like came very close to me so i am gonna file a report oh that was dangerous <laughs> and what was it devil's tower in um yeah devil's tower south yeah, dakota i believe um where yeah we... that that big no big wyoming, rock that's actually wyoming. made out of made out of mashed potato Yes. Yeah, I, mm, yeah, exactly. I don't think so, actually. Basalt. It's not made out of mashed potatoes. Well, maybe it's petrified mashed potatoes from uh, like oh, prehistoric okay. times yeah. or something. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Not sure Jeff, if why don't we wind it up with number twenty, and then we okay. Can... I would love to do that, Liz. Uh, we're going to go ahead. This is going to be a nice short show for y'all, and we're going to go ahead and skip over to twenty, Captain Nick, and uh, right. kind of end it on this uh, from Captain Gregory. Uh, he, he's referring oh, to no. uh, the uh, snake on a plane, except in this case, this poor little guy survived a flight in the nose wheel bay. Again, Good Lord. Captain Gregory. Raccoon. Oh, Rick, 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 Ricky, Ricky Raccoon. Rick, 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 Ricky, Ricky Raccoon. Is it a raccoon? I think it is. It is. Looks like a raccoon to me. So. Or I, I don't know. Okay. Where's his little mask? mask? Yeah, don't they have black and white? Fair on the head. It looks like he's a bit of a maybe it's a, it's a foreign from, raccoon. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's got very beady eyes and a lovely black nose. Yeah, a little blood on him. I and think. He suffered a little bit, but uh, yeah. he survived. Yeah, probably probably had to scamper around in there when they retracted the gear. Yeah, and uh, get himself sorted out. Yeah, wow. wow. Poor little very guy. Amazing. Poor little guy. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, thanks so much to our live audience. Uh, it's always uh, nice to have you there with us, uh, helping us out or uh, at least entertaining us with uh, pithy comments. Uh, if you want to learn more about P the petty show. Petty comments. P yeah, pithy. I thought yeah. Els Pilotto was very petty. No, I didn't say petty. I said pithy. Oh, um, but there are some sure? petty comments as well <laughs> and pitiful actually uh Pit yeah 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 they were uh but or pathetic there are a lot of p words we could use here uh but let's mm. um use an a word airlinepilotguide.com our website address where you can go and find out information about the crew and the community and uh if you read books mostly aviation related uh our librarian tiffany has done a fantastic job of organizing that, keeping track of all that, managing it. Uh, the uh, APG library, we have merchandise. And I haven't been there in a while to figure out what's going on there, but I think there's stuff that you can buy, like T-shirts and stuff. Um, let's see, what else do we have yeah, over there? phone cases and iPad cases, all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Lots of red bubble stuff. Yeah. There's a page uh, that has the APG calendar on it. Not a lot on there right now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yes, what else? You've made that page a bit redundant now, haven't you? I I have, yeah. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll go back to my my old ways. Oh, I know what I was gonna. Well, I don't think this is what I was trying to remember, but I just did remember something that popped in my head. 
that I should have mentioned uh, in the getting to know us. I was uh, out uh, shopping one day a few days ago at our local Costco in Alpharetta, and you'll recall that uh, I, I refer to Ray Williams as my neighbor uh, just north of me in Alpharetta, and uh, he happened to be wa- uh, coming out of the Costco with a big giant because, you know, when you go to Costco, you have to have this big giant basket full of stuff, like hundreds of dollars worth of stuff that you can't really live without. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, I was kind of staring at the bottles of Pellegrino uh, sparkling water uh, in the bottom of, of the thing. And all of a sudden, I realized that the person that's pushing this cart at me uh, said, Captain Jeff. And I went, huh? And I looked up and yeah, Ray Williams was uh was there Are you going to get some shadow kirkland wine and uh i you know uh she's asking me about the wine i did buy some wine but um i actually went with a wine that i just absolutely love it's a red blend and oh. it's called um troublemaker and oh. i thought it describes me perfectly <laughs> you, <laughs> it's so good uh it's it's a blend of Oh, I'm trying to remember all the different uh, varieties in there, but it's the, it's the kind of wine I like. It's it's bold, it's it's um, tannic, but it's also um, got a little bit of uh, grape sweetness. No, it's not a sweet wine, but it has a fruity, not sweetness, a fruitiness to it, which I really just absolutely love. Troublemaker. You should check it out if you have a local wine shop or a Costco. Um, Oh, it's and, a big blend. It's a lot of stuff. It's yeah. Oh, I think Syrah Liz is looking at the Syrah and, and what else? Ganache. Ganache. And Zinfandel. And, Zinfandel. That's one of my yeah. favorite grapes. Um, yeah. yeah so it's got a stuff. lot of good good stuff in there. Okay. Uh, mm, very right. jammy. Um, are so, you sure that um, Pellegrino wasn't Peroni? Um, no, it was Pellegrino. Oh, okay. From, uh, from uh, what is it, Spain, I think? Oh, Spanish is yeah. not Italian then. Or maybe it is Italian. Yeah, I it's don't Italian. Know. Yeah. I don't know. It's Italian. Whatever. I, I'm not sure. Um, so Liz is trying to get us back on track. So <laughs> um Yeah, so check out the website. Good luck, I mean, Liz. Who really knows what you're gonna find there, you know? <laughs> Airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, we're also on the uh, social media or what I like to say, social meds. Captain Nick, would you do the Yes, honors? we are indeed. Uh, we're on the feedbacks. Uh, uh, no, oh, that's sorry. not sorry, that's, wrong. That's, a, <laughs> that's wrong. That's an email address. Liz, sorry. she's, trying to, she's sorry. trying to stumble I, and no, mess I'm us not. up again. I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. As she succeeded. Uh, Facey Bookie, yes, airline pilot guy, all one word, is the search you should use if you want to. Uh, find us there on Twitter. Uh, we are at APG Crew, and that is our handle, which is very similar to the Instas, the Instagram, uh, which doesn't have a great deal of interaction, but you can usually find an early copy of the artwork there, and that is just APG Crew. So that's us on social media. We don't do TikTok. No. I don't know if we should. Do you reckon we should do TikTok? No, no I don't think we should. Anyway, no, no, because do we don't do a lot else. of videos. Is Hello you know, there with uh, you, Jeff? We, we can find us on YouTube. Yeah. What are we on YouTube, Jeff? We're Airline Pilot Guy. So you can just go oh, okay. youtube.com slash airline pilot guy. And I, you know, when there you said you TikTok, I thought you said TikTok. <laughs> I went, well. <laughs> 
Slight Jeff left. would like to be yeah, on airline pilots. Uh, actually, I am on TikTok. Um, airline pilot guy. TikTok.com slash airline pilot guy. And swipe right is good. The swipe left is I'm not sure. I get so confused. Which is the right one? We're airline pilots. It doesn't seem to make any difference. (laughs) Actually, I've never tried that. So, you know, don't get on me about that. Uh, Hello. Oh, so uh, Slack. So we should ask Hello. Hello. Are you here to tell us about Slack? Would you let me finish a poo for once? Um, Yeah. So I I guess we need to come back. (laughs) to that or um yeah well it'll probably take 10 minutes yeah we got time? I, well let's uh, fast forward in time a little time yeah. oh, we're going through here trick. and now he's in the shower for good reason yeah. uh, he needs to clean <laughs> up is that the b-day <laughs> it's a large b-day hey hello can you tell us about slack okay but i'm dripping wet all right just make sure you put that robe on and Sop every all that water up with the towel and sit back. Sit over here. No, right here. Here's the microphone. Okay, tell us on about your Slack. lap. Yes, sit here on my lap. <laughs> APG listeners, please join Woo. us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Uh, don't, don't you worry. Oh, by the I, way, uh, yes. I hold boxes. He said he didn't Google it. The APG did. Ah, so it's very suspect uh, information. San Pellegrino and Peroni are both. Ah, there we go. There we go. I mean, that's what you come here for to learn about your sparkling water, your spring water, whatever. <laughs> uh, Amongst other things. And I'm I'm ha- enjoying a nice uh, American uh, sparkling water uh, called La Croix or La Croix. Anyway, um, oh, what else do we talk about here? Oh, Liz, come and join us, please. Yeah. Oh, there she is. Uh, yeah, thank hello, you Liz. So That's much well for all the work that you do. And, uh, and, and we've the... been hard work tonight. Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. We're trouble. As, <laughs> as I've got said. some good uh, show titles. Yeah. Have you? Oh, well, good. well, hey, before we know, talk about I'm that. Asking. Um, well, why don't we talk about that after we actually end yeah. the show? So, so sign off. Yeah. I'm going to do right. the sign off right now. Do. We'll see you next week. Thank you for um, for being here uh, to listen to us. And uh, until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Tailwinds, Douglas. Bye, everybody. Bye for now. See you next time. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I 